What's up, guys? Real quick, before you get into the video, I just finished an over two-hour-long interview with Chris Lights Out Lytle. Um, if you don't know who Chris Lytle is or you don't understand why he was one of my favorite fighters, um, I need you to stop what you're doing. Go and search up and look up the Dan Hardy versus Chris Lytle fight and the Matt Brown versus Chris Lytle fight. Watch those two fights and then come back over and finish the video. And, uh, yeah, it's pretty good, man. It's a pretty good video. He's re he's a super nice guy, and, and I, I'm really honored not only to do my first interview, but for it to be with, with somebody who's one of my favorite fighters. So please check it out. And uh, one more thing. Don't forget to check out Chris Lytle's podcast, Lights Out Podcast. He goes over MMA history. He's got all kinds of fighters on there that are pioneers of the sport. It's a great podcast. Don't forget to check it out. Don't forget to check my show out, High Kick Fight Picks. We're both available on YouTube, Spotify, um, Pandora, Rumble, all your all your major streaming services. Thanks, guys. Check them out. What's up, everybody? I'm here with one of my favorite fighters of all time and one of the most exciting fighters to ever do it, Chris Lights Out Lytle. How you doing, man? Man, Fantastic. I just want to tell you, you're obviously one of the smartest fans out there from what I'm hearing so far. <laughs> Very intelligent, you know, got a good eye for fighting. So I like where your head's at already. Let's, let's go. Let's, let's get this thing going. All right, man. Well, you fought in Pancras, WEC, um, UFC, BKFC, probably a hundred other organizations that, that, that I don't, that couldn't find or whatever. And, uh, you know, I was just curious, what would your record actually look like if, you know, if all of your fights were on it? Because I know there's a bunch of fights that, that aren't on your record. And I know Pancras kind of like, kind of screwed your record around a little bit with their weird stuff over there. And Well, I, I know easily I probably had about five, 16, 18 or maybe 20 more wins that are on my record. They used to be there at one point, but since... They went back through and said, uh, you know, you fought in Indiana and these fights were on there, but Indiana, Ohio, whatever, like these weren't sanctioned states at yeah. the time. So if it has no sanctioned body, we're taking away all those wins. I couldn't care less. I fought. I wanted, like, they got my first fight, I think, that was maybe in Japan. I was like, I wasn't 0 0 and went to Japan. I was like 10, 11 0. And then, then I came back and fought a bunch more around here. Yeah. You know, because they didn't have. It wasn't like anybody would sign you to an exclusive contract, UFC included. So it's just like you fought wherever you could because, hell, UFC back then put on five fights a year. You know, Pancras, I like going over there. They put on probably, you know, ten fights a year. But nobody put on a lot of fights. You had to fight all over the place. So I came back here, had a lot more fights, and not one of those was on my record. It's funny. Every one of those fights, I was a win. I never lost outside a major organization. But I'm like, can you take away a couple losses? No, it's like we're just going to take away all wins, man. So, yeah. <laughs> but like I said, I don't really care about those. I don't really look at that. But it, it, yeah, they got my record well. So, so for whatever that's not on there, or was it anything in Japan or? Uh, no, everything like all the big major stuff is on there, you know. But like any regional type fight, none of those are on there. So it, it just uh, if it was a big legitimate organization, they for some reason they were they considered them sanctioned. I, I don't know. Like in Japan, they were always sanctioned, even though I don't, I don't know if there was a sanctioned body. Yeah. Stuff like, or was it? Were were you just uh, in jujitsu at younger age, or did how how did you start out? I heard saying he was going to a place. He called it shoot fighting. He's like he's a friend of mine from wrestling. He's like I'm going to shoot fighting, you know. And uh, I started going over there, 
and I was just better wrestler than most of the people and had a good, I, I transitioned well, right from, you know, wrestling to jujitsu. And it wasn't really jujitsu. It was more catch wrestling. You know, yeah. I had no gi. It was just no gi rolling a lot with more catch wrestling base. And, you know, immediately I'm a young guy and I start going there and I'm, you know, you know, going against these, you know, 35 year old guys with tattoos and we're like ruffians, you know, but I was like beating them because I was better at wrestling kind of. So, and I adapted with them. These were big 250 pound guys. So I immediately fell in love with it. Cause I was like, man, I'm, I'm good at this. And, uh, you know, I still like a young kid in my eyes and I'm beating these, you know, thug adult men. So I kind of really, yeah. it really made me feel good <laughs> about myself. I was like, I, I could be good at this. Went and watched one of the fights they put on. And immediately I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to do this. And yeah. then once I had a fight, I was like, okay, I just want to keep going and getting better. And then I met, you know, Jason Godsey, who was going to Japan all the time. And I was like, oh yeah, he, he's like, I'll get you in Japan. So then it was like, that was my goal just to make it over to Japan. Were, were the uh, I saw you fought with a company called uh, Hook and Shoot. Was that in Japan or was that here? Hook and Shoot was here, man. It was in uh, Evansville, Indiana, about four, three and a half, four hours away. But they had uh, connections with uh, Shudo, um, and so they had like a Japanese connection. They had some fighters go over there, but I was uh, no, I didn't fight. They're actually big organizations at the time, man. I mean, uh, Hook and Shoot. There wasn't. It was you know. UFC, King of the Cage, Hook and Shoe, those were like the biggest in the country, really. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, did, were you boxing? Was that before you had a 13 and 1 boxing record, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, a lot of people thought I was a boxer first. So I didn't start boxing him. Before huh? that, you'd already been fighting MMA way before that, right? You've been yeah, in Japan. Yeah. I went to a boxing gym just to get better at stand up, you know? It was funny. I went back and saw a fight. I think it was in 2000, I fought in Japan, and I was like, God, I was terrible on my feet, you know? I didn't yeah. realize how bad my stand-up was. I mean, it was just, I had no official training. It was just me roll and do jiu-jitsu, and we'd just stand up and start punching each other. I remember at one point, I don't know if you know a guy named Alex Steebling, uh, um, the Brazilian killer at the time. He was back, uh, fought in Pride. Yeah. Alan Goet is a great, great fighter for a while, but... um. I remember me and him just trying to train for fight. I had like a, a year of experience on him and, and, you know, I got him involved when we started fighting. I remember at one point I, I'd had a pair of boxing gloves and he didn't. So I remember I saying like, okay, you know, you'll get the right hand this round and I'll get the left hand. And we would just <laughs> punch like that. And then the next round we changed and just looking back, I'm like, that is beyond stupid. You know, I mean, you're not learning anything. <laughs> you know, you're learning bad techniques. You're not, I mean, you're punching with one hand. All we're doing is hitting each other as hard as we can and cracking each other and hurting, losing brains. It was like, you know, I was young. I didn't know any better. There was nobody. It was a blind lean the blind and nobody knew. So looking back, it was funny and stupid, but uh, um, it, it was uh, it was just a different world back then. It's it's like that. Was that the first UFC where that guy came out wearing the one boxing glove? <laughs> Art Jimnick or something like that. Yeah. yeah. He won't hurt his hands. I was like, yeah, that, I mean, just, no, that was never our thought. We were just like, man, I'm going to box, but I don't have two pair of gloves. I don't have two gloves. So I just, we'll make it work, you know? And I mean, people are, I mean, I can't imagine people would do that type of stuff nowadays, you know, which they shouldn't, but it was just back then. You just, and we, I was, I was started fighting in 98, you know, in the, like beginning of 98, the sport was like four and a half years old. Yeah. The way I see it, UFC one was, you know, end of 1993. So it was a very new sport and you're still, uh, you know, yeah, they were still working it out to make a fire. <laughs> um, real quick. I forgot to uh, mention your podcast. Uh, you do the lights out podcast. It's on Spotify, 
all kinds of stuff. And could you tell people about that real quick? I'm, I'm going to mention it every time I do a video from now on, because I've been, I've I started listening it. and lifestyle podcast. It's about like what I'm talking about. These old stories like that. Me and Alex are sitting there with one glove. I like it when I, I'll talk to fighters, a lot of guys who've uh, been around for a long time. The guys who helped develop the sport, make this sport. You know, we had Mark coming on, you know, polar bear, the old school guys, you know, uh, boss, we just all these guys. And they tell the stories of how they got started and, and stories like that about, I remember um, just people telling where they went and, you know, they were going to fight and they've called on, on the record. It's a, the cold house fight. You know, it's like cold house fight. What's that mean? They're like, well, they went to put on a fight someplace in Wisconsin or something or Minnesota and, and the place got canceled. So they found some abandoned house and, and fought <laughs> in it, you know? Yeah. And like people were standing up against like the radiator. So people didn't get hurt. And, and it was on somebody's record. Uh, Dave Benet, like that would never happen now. You just go yeah. build some bats at an old abandoned house and people fought, and it goes on your record. It was like <laughs> that's kind of the cool thing that people don't know the history of the sport and where it came from. You're never going to hear that stuff if you don't hear it from the people who would actually, it'll just be like an urban myth or legend. People say, no, that's not true. No, we're going to have it. The story by the person who actually did it. So we have a, a lot of old stories like that, and I love it. So yeah. that's what we do about the podcast. We just try and hear people's story. How did you get, even like newer people, how did you get to the UFC? How did you get from A to B? And they're always interesting stories, man. I mean, people, yeah. some people remember Eric Anders, like, well, I just started going to a gym, and I only way I learned how to fight, the coach wasn't great, so I just I just fought, you know. So he had like 23 amateur fights. I'm like, Jesus. He's like, that's how I learned to fight. Yeah. I just do an amateur an amateur event, and I'd learn, okay, don't do this. Like, that's crazy. You learn on the job. So, you know, I just love hearing everybody's path to get there. I mean, I don't know. Everybody seems like they got a unique way, and, uh, you know, I think yeah. the old school stories are, are great, but some of the new ones are still good, too. Yeah, it's re I'm hooked on it for sure, and I'm definitely going to mention it every time I do a video from now on because people need to hear that, and it, it's like like I had no idea until a few weeks ago about it, you know, until I oh, – really? Because I went back after you actually, you know, messaged me back and were talking to me. I couldn't believe it. I went back and watched all your fights, and I was, like, Googling all your stuff, and I was like, oh, shit, he's got a podcast, you know, so I've been listening yeah. – to it for you know a little while now and i'm stuck on it and and it's it anybody that's been watching you know i mean since the 90s i mean those are all the people that that i grew up watching and you know, people i haven't thought of in forever you know and it's it's really cool to to hear them and hear their stories and because i know things were way different back then and it's it's oh man <laughs> it's crazy to hear you know all their all no, their takes and <laughs> i wonder if have you see have you listened to the i probably haven't heard one of the ian heidek yet uh no i haven't Dude, that's that's a wild one, man. That, yeah. that, I mean, that that's one that had me just kind of listen for the first hour of him talking. It's just like <laughs> kind of, that's a crazy yeah. one. Uh, yeah, I listened uh, to both of yours. I listened to the Sam Sam Stout one, uh, one of the Sam Stout ones. I actually yeah. listened to them in the wrong order. I listened to the second one first, uh, <laughs> and then I listened to a Spencer Fisher one. Um, trying to think of what else I listened to. Uh, there are a couple more that I haven't finished yet, but. Those are the ones I listen to so far, but it's really entertaining and it's really cool to hear all that stuff. And, and, uh, I do appreciate definitely what y'all are doing with that. Another real old school guy, Oleg Tatarov, we had him on there and he had some, some crazy stories just about like, you know, him doing like mercenary work and stuff and being like, I, they went somewhere. I can't remember somewhere in Africa and like the, the people who brought him on the mission, like didn't have enough money to pay the pilots. To, and so they just like left him and didn't bring him back. And then like, otherwise, with no, <laughs> No supplies. It's like, dude, you, you just got left in the middle of the desert. It's like, uh, it, it's some wild stuff. <laughs> yeah, that was none. Ian Heineck is probably one of the wildest stories I've had on there. So check those out. Those are good. Yeah, I'll listen to that one next for sure. Um, yeah. Did Did you happen to uh, to watch 
Fedor's last fight last night. Man, uh, I could have gone I without not, seeing that. <laughs> I, was, I did some commentary and some of the fights last night. I, had, what, I don't even know. I haven't heard what happened, what happened yet. Uh, I mean, Ryan Bader just wiped the floor with him, and I, I could have gone without seeing that. You know, I I don't like Man. I don't like all that stuff. I mean, I was gonna get with all to that all that stuff with you later towards the end of the end of the interview anyway, but yeah. Um, well, I'll hold out till then to talk about it. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, because uh, there's a lot to talk about there. I, yeah, yeah, definitely. But um, so if you could, would you explain, you know, what pan pancreas is? Cause a lot of people yeah. might not know and the rules and, and tell us some, some stuff about what it was like over there and maybe some stories, if you got any from Japan or. Sure, man. Now pancreas back in the day, it was, you know, you had, you had MMA, but it wasn't called MMA back then. It was called NHB, no holes barred. You could kind of do whatever back then you could headbutt, you could knee a guy in the head on the ground, kick him in the face on the ground. Really, was very little rules. Um, pretty brutal. If you watch, like, especially first few UFCs, I mean, that second, third one, those were brutal. Yeah. I mean, people were getting wrecked. It was, it was, it was sometimes hard to watch. Oh my God, he's dead. <laughs> um, I love it still. Like, I like the the less rules, the better. Personally, um, if you if you know, let's say you are allowed to knee a, a guy in the head on the ground. Well, I know that needs coming. So if you got me in position. I don't just sit there and take it. I have to roll and move and machines and more to create a flow. It's, it's less stagnant where you just sit there. So, I mean, I understand if I'm going to defend myself, I'm not going to sit there and let you need me. So um, I think it adds to, but the pancreas philosophy, I think was they really understand the sports of mixed martial arts is what it's became. And so they really appreciated, I think the submission aspect of it. So um they had open-handed strikes to the head on the ground um, and on the feet. I mean, you couldn't punch a guy with it because it was barehanded. So you had you had to slap a guy with you get him with the palm, which could hurt. Um, but it was more designed to create to, the flow to open up submissions. It wasn't a grappling match because you just had people sit there. You could hit them then and make them move. Um, you had wore these big like shin pad type boot things where you could kick. Um, you could kick. You could knee the head. You could do whatever you wanted. You could hit, but it had to be open hand out of the body. You could punch with a closed fist. Uh, but it really was designed for the art of the submission where you could continue to force a guy open and then go for the submissions. But similar to what I did, their guys, they, they fought a lot. And they fought tough competition. They fought each other all the time. All the guys from the pancreas kind of had bad records. I mean, if you have, if you were really good, you know, you might, your record might, I mean, you fought 14 tough guys. Like, it wasn't yeah. like you well, fought, they, they fought like really guys. often, right? They fought all the time. Yeah. Maybe oh. you know, sometimes every month. Some I went there and stayed and trained, and it was just, um, you know, it was trained twice a day, six days a week. It was uh, it was tough, man, and, and and I loved it, man. You got to go there and just really work really hard, and it was a really only time I really understood. Oh, this is how you're supposed to train to be a real fighter. Yeah. Well, uh, did they, did they, uh, I know I, I heard you saying that they gave you per dim and stuff out there. It was a pay a little bit better out there than it was fighting over here. I know they, I know they treated the fighters more like athletes there than they did over here at the time, you know? So, you know, when I get, show up at the airport, you know, there'd be somebody with a little sign, you know, Mr. Lytle and I walk up and they give you a per diem right there. And then they take you to your hotel and it was like, everything was on an itinerary, you know, and they get you there like four days in advance so you could acclimate, you know, they'd take you to press conferences. We didn't get any of that stuff around yeah. here. I mean, I remember my first time I fought in the UFC in 2000, 
I showed up the day before, <laughs> no press conference, weigh-ins with the day of the fight, and they said, oh, Chris, you're, 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 we have a problem. You were supposed to have an eye test done by an ophthalmologist, and it was an ophthalmologist. I'm like, what's the difference? One letter? <laughs> I didn't have the H in there. I'm like, yeah, you have to go get your eyes dilated right now. And, uh, the day of so the I didn't fight? Get my eyes dilated the day of the fight. <laughs> like, like, no press conference. It was just a different world. And then, then uh, two rounds, and, and like, I don't even think they gave you per diem. They, no, they gave us like a, a pa- like a, a pass that you could go eat at the cafeteria in the staff anytime you wanted. So it was like, this Japan was way more organized. They treat you better. They had little baseball cards, you know, if I'd show up there after a while with my, my picture on it, and kids would have me sign up. So I just, I just love going to Japan. I think I probably got paid about two to two and a half to three times more to go to Japan. That was right. That was with the ESG or SEG owned UFC right before Dana White and them got involved. So then things changed when Dana White and them got involved. But that before that, I was like, man, this UFC is not gonna make it. I didn't think it was yeah. a good organization when I first went. Yeah, for sure. Um, I watched. I found a couple of your Pancrase fights. They're kind of hard to find. There's a couple of them on YouTube. I don't know where yeah. I can find the rest. Was that you actually had hair and. A couple of them, man. I, it was weird seeing you with hair because the entire time I've watched you fight, and you never had hair the whole time until I watched those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know uh, what fight were on there. I know the one I've. The one uh, it was the one the where the one where the guy on there at one point. The guy that uh, y'all were kind of tied up on the ground with your legs wrapped up around each other, and he started headbutting you. And I think it, it wound up being a draw, right? I think. Yeah, that was uh, it, that was when they were trying to transition over to MMA. You know, so. That was where you you could headbutt, you could kick to the head on the ground, you could do whatever. So if it went, it was one fifteen minute round, and if it went the distance, it was a draw. Yeah. So that, that's I mean I thought I. It was pretty crazy how they did that. Any sense of you know how the how the rules were or what why because yeah. there was fights that, like you were clearly dominating. I'm getting ahead of myself, but um, you know clearly dominating the fight, and then they either call it a draw or say you lost, and I, I just couldn't figure <laughs> out you know the rules or. How, I guess you probably didn't even know either. So, you know, I remember, I remember a couple of times they were getting so frustrated and I was like, man, I mean, you know, the hometown decisions killing me, man. And I had a couple of, I remember like the first time I lost the majority decision, I lost a couple of those and I had a couple of draws. And I remember being, say, called me like a month later. I was like, yeah, I'll come back. (laughs) (laughs) What are you going to do? And back then I remember I lied to him because at first there was no weight classes there. So I lied and told him I weighed, like 190 pounds only weighed like 175 just so they'd let me over and i know i showed up and they were looking i was like yeah man i've been sick i can't remember what i said but i was like remember one point it, it was just i wanted to be over there and they they wouldn't have allowed me because there was no weight class so i mean it, it was tough not you know being a smaller guy and, and then having close fights i wasn't winning on the judges cards and i you know really kind of started screwing up my record but i didn't care i, I love like all those guys over there had those kind of records because it was just nothing but tough competition man it was tough guys and they, they they trained hard and they were a step ahead of us and me at least in that time yeah um so you said uh, in one of your interviews like did y'all stay like a for lack of a better word like in like a compound type thing over there and train or was it like they gave you hotel oh, rooms or it mean, was a gym it was like it was a gym and then they had these like uh, like little trailers yeah a couple of them in there so like i got to go in my little place had a little bit of air conditioning but I mean, you just lived in the gym the whole time, you know, and it was weird. It was middle of nowhere. You know, I, if I, I remember this is before cell phones. I mean, they, when I, I mean, it was 1999. I remember I go there and then some of the guys were starting to get cell phones. I remember thinking, man, these guys, you know, thought they were just with their, 
Japanese technology. Everybody's getting these cell phones. But I didn't have one, so I remember if I wanted to use a phone, I had to go get on a bike, a little bike with like a basket on it, a little bell in the front, and I have to ride it like 20 minutes to get to like the like the train station, and I could get on like it, buy a little card and, and call home. Yeah. <laughs> call like my girlfriend and stuff and be like, <laughs> tell what was up. Yeah. It was rough. <laughs> Um, so at that time in Japan, there was what was there Shudo and Pancrase, or was it Shudo and Pancrase were kind of like bumping it? You know, Pancrase I felt was a little bit better than Pancrase, but then that was just I think they were on like Pride number six. So Pride had been so Pride wasn't Pancrase. really around yet then, or was it? It was just starting off, so like it hadn't blown up yet, but it was a big thing. Like. They they were you could tell the production value was huge with that and you could just I mean I could I didn't really understand it but then looking back you could tell there was like yakuza money in there because yeah. it didn't make any sense for how got <laughs> like to be to be spending that kind of money on it when you know like Pancrase had a stable of fighters they had a fan base they had a, you know they they were building a, a, an organization the right way and Pride just jumped in and a bunch of money at it so like where'd that money come from so looking back it makes sense but i mean so i think people people knew pride was there and, and like i don't know if they knew it was going to stay yet but then it, it was uh, it was starting to take off right when i was there are you surprised you never wound, wound up fighting in pride at all while you were over there or well, well a couple things uh no because first of all they their guys they were all pretty damn huge, you know, at the time. Most, most of those guys, you know, it was it was 240-pound yeah. guys. It was like, man, I was 175, maybe 180, you know, so the guys were big there. But not just that. I mean, I never really thought about fighting pride or shoe because the thing I learned up to, they have a different philosophy, and it's not just we go fight for whoever you want. There's like a loyalty and a respect and an honor system. And I'm like, if you went over to another one, you'd probably be looked at as like, man, you're, you're – that's not how we do things. And you, if you, if you're with us, you're with us, you know, and they, they will, there's a lot of pride and honor about sticking. Like your, your job is to, is to help that company. You know, it's not, I, it's not all about me and you're going to go to whichever the highest bidder. They will, they will not like you as a fighter and they won't respect you. I don't think if, if you went that route. And so there's not a lot of opening and transition at, for a long time. It kind of happened at the end um, when like, you know, men of one, a couple of those people started going to other organizations, but that's when like, uh, I think the financial problems started developing and people weren't able to pay as much. And it's, it, it kind of changed. But at the beginning, I was like, no, nah, I kind of bought into the Japanese system of like the, uh, you know, the honor, respect, and loyalty, man. You, you wouldn't go just over to Shooter. That would be a slap in the people's face who've been bringing you over for it. Uh, was Boss written over there when you were there? Or was Did he come after you were there? And He was in Pancrase, no, right? He was before I was there. He was kind of wrapping up. And uh, starting to do more, like I, he, I think he just came over to the UFC. But he, he I, yeah, I've met him over there probably in '90s. He was a big deal over there. Yeah, have you he's had a him? Funny guy, man. He's a wild man. Have you had him on your on your podcast yet? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I have to let's check that out. Um, sorry, I got my notes on my phone, so don't think I'm being rude if I'm looking no, down. No. <laughs> no, Voss was an amazing. You have to listen. It's amazing to listen to how. Like, you know, being over in Holland, they didn't have great grappling, especially back then. He's, like, basically teaching himself getting books and looking on things and getting caught in moves and then, like, going and working on Like, okay, I'm never getting caught in that again. It's pretty amazing how he's been able to train his brain yeah. just to, like, sit down and figure it out. I mean, but you got to understand, 
I never, we, I never had any kind of real. I've never done. People always used to say I was a black belt in jujitsu. Like I've never done jujitsu. I've never owned a gi. Like we would just literally sit there and like talk with each other. We have about you know ten people in there, and we're like, okay, how do you get out of the mountain? We'd all go split up. We'd all roll, and we'd come back and talk and be like, well, this is what I do, and then somebody else said, this is what I do, and everybody kind of try what works for them and make up your own system for your each person. It wasn't. It was like trial by fire and just learning, not. Somebody wasn't. You didn't have any Brazilian jiu-jitsu, you know, before you went over there at all. Had you trained that at all before you went over to Japan, or did you pick up there and Brazilian jiu-jitsu? I mean, I I've heard people say it's different. I, I wouldn't know because it was purely <laughs> like more of a catch wrestling style that I talked about. We'd go and just everybody do grapple together, and we'd say, "Okay, I'm not doing this well. What do we do?" And we'd all kind of try and figure it out, and then. What works for me not may not work for you. Three hundred pound guy. Well, now my moves aren't going. And his moves are different. So it's just kind of figuring out what works for you and, and just figuring out your own style based on your body type and what works for you know your strength factors, all that stuff. I think it's a great way to do it because I learned how I how yeah. I move best and what works for me and, and what they're gonna do. They're gonna move. They don't know what I'm gonna do because they've never went against somebody like me. So. I, I kind of like that system that we just kind of, it was unintentional. It was just out of necessity. We had to make up your own style for your own person. Yeah. Well, you definitely figured it out because <laughs> uh, you got a lot of, a lot of good submissions on your record and you got a, you got a move that I'm going to talk about a little bit later that I really, I mean, I, I just thought it was the coolest thing I ever seen, but I'll, I'll talk about that once we get okay. into the UFC. But, uh, so I, I heard you say at one point that, um, times in like, I want to say a month or was it, yeah. So isn't that crazy? Because nowadays, like people are, you know, they're especially even the champions are lucky to fight twice <laughs> a year. You know, now I mean, and you were fighting yeah. five times a month back then. It was uh, one of those five? I mean, three of those fights were in one night. It was an eight man tournament. Yeah, I was going to ask you, know you about so, that. <laughs> and eight man tournament. Um, but you got to understand the people who I was fighting, like I was, I had already been in Japan. I was fighting at that high level train with those guys. Most of the people around here were, you know, training a couple of days a week. So it wasn't the highest level of competition. Um, but, you know, and then I started, I, now I think at that point, I can't remember if that was when I was already started doing pro boxing, that counted as one or two of them. I, I, I did learn though, I, at that point, I was just fighting anytime I could because I loved it. And, you know, you were going to pay me, I loved it. Um, it wasn't for a little bit that I started learning, man, like, my only boxing match that I lost, boxing match, and then match, probably all within five to six weeks. And, uh, and so I, I, like, by the end of that last boxing match, it was a tough fight. And um, I just didn't have, I mean, I, I didn't have that second gear to kick into. And I, like every round, my first round here, my hands, second round here, because I just, I was flat, you know what I mean? So yeah. I just, um, like, I can't sit here and say right now to beat the guy if I hadn't done it a different way. But I don't think I gave myself a good chance of winning because, I learned after that you have to, like, nowadays, if you want to fight, you have to set up, like, a six, eight-week camp, whatever it is. You have to peak at the end. You have yeah. to set up, like, every week you peak here, and then you fall. Well, I was just, like, every couple of weeks I was fighting, you can't peak, you know? So your body needs a rest. It needs to recover. It needs to be at the optimal time to perform. And I wasn't doing that back in the day. I would just fight, like I said, five times a month if I could, three times in a month. Just whenever people give me an opportunity, I'm like, yeah, I'll do that fight. Yeah, I'll do that fight. I never said no which was, I, I like that mentality because that's how you should be, but you, you shouldn't do it. You should, yeah. you should, that should be, as a fighter, that should always be your mentality. And 
you should have management who never let that happen. You know, what I mean, you should have a trainer and a manager who says, "Yeah, I like your idea." I mean, I remember later my, my boxing coach wouldn't even tell me about certain fights because he knew I'd say yes. You know, my 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 boxing coach said, "Yeah, they offered us to fight Andre Ward." I was like, "Why didn't we take it?" He's like, "You'd have lost." I was like, "No, I wouldn't." He's like, "Yeah, you'd have lost." I'm like, "Oh, all right." So I mean, they they knew not to tell me about the fight because I would want it. You know, as yeah. a fighter, you should want every fight, and it's up to management to tell you no. And back then, I didn't have any management, so I took every fight, and it was stupid, but I love doing it that way. Yeah. So were the were the boxing matches were were you able to make more money doing that at the time than you were with your MMA fights, or was it about the same? Or man, people think boxing pays so much. Boxing's terrible, man. Back then, doesn't pay anything. I mean, boxing pays at the high high end, at the highest level, it pays great. Yeah, that's about it. I mean, now. If, if you're being brought in to lose, if you're being brought in, if you got a decent record, they're bringing you over to fight like a, a guy in Germany or something out there, but you might get paid 20 grand. I don't know. But I mean, yeah. boxers don't make the money they think. I mean, you, if you find like, you know, Floyd Mayweather's card and, you know, he's making obviously great money. Maybe the co man I make in 1500 bucks. So yeah. I don't want to, everybody thinks boxers make all yeah. the money. Yeah. At the highest level, boxers make a lot. Everybody else makes nothing. So, it's different when you do MMA. It's like the high end doesn't get as high, you know, but the middle is much better. A lot, lot yeah. more people can make it if you're fighting UFC than you can just at, at I mean, you might not be rich, but you're going to be able to make a living. That's not the same with boxing. Yeah, definitely. Um, so you, is that eight-man tournament that you were uh, just talking about, was that the one where you, I think there was a lot of like UFC guys in it, and I think you fought Dave Manet. No, that was a different tournament. That was a different, was a different one. Tournament. Yeah. Okay. So that was a tough tournament. <laughs> yeah. So you competed yeah, in some of these tournament. some of these tournaments four times a night. That was a say that I remember that one. I Dave Manet in it. I know Matt Hughes was in it. Laverne Clark, Dave Strasser. Um, can't remember who else was. It's like dude, it was just a and I drew Dave Manet first round. You know, and I was uh, lost. And I, then I thought uh, at one point, Monty said, "Man, I don't think he can fight the next round. Will you fight Laverne Clark?" I was like, "Absolutely." And then uh, later on, he came back and said, well, Dave was going to do the fight. And Dave ended up fighting and winning. And he said he couldn't fight after that, you know, because, I mean, his fight with me went, you know, 10 minutes. And then uh, Laverne Clark's first fight was like 18 seconds. <laughs> he had a fresh Laverne Clark, and you had a, a very tired uh, Dave Nay who almost didn't fight. And Won a, a championship with the UFC, or was that? Yeah, that was before his okay. UFC title. Yeah. yeah, I didn't remember. I, it's been so long, but... Um... So, who else talking about whenever you were going to the weigh-ins there that all the uh, Matt Hughes and all those guys were walking out and you were saying they look they look kind of they looked a little bit big. (laughs) Yeah, everybody looked pretty big there. I was like, damn, you know, like, oh no, they made weight. I'm like, no, all right, you know, what do I do? Sure, okay, they made weight. I guess they made weight. I don't even remember what the weight class was. I thought it was 170, but who knows? <laughs> I was dumb back then. Like I said, I'd fight in Japan with no weight class, so I just thought I'll fight anybody, man. Yeah, that that's how that's the difference. I think nowadays, a lot of that, fighters are smarter. But I mean, man, we just fought. You just fought because you wanted to fight. You yeah. know? I mean, I don't think you have is that that much anymore. Now people fought. I want to make a career. I want paid. I want this and that. But back then, it was just like, man, I just want to get in that fight. You know. And, I think there's something to be said for that. And all the a lot of the fighters back then, there was no phonies out there. I mean, if you were fighting, you were phony. It didn't make sense because you weren't getting paid well. and you, It just didn't make sense. So people fought because they enjoyed it. Yeah. So whenever um, whenever you were fighting in Pancrase, 
like were were people in the states able to see like was that on a, on a channel oh, yeah. or no it was just japan man i would get a they'd send it to me like a couple weeks later and i'd take it and i'd show it to people but yeah. i mean yeah there was nobody nobody knew what pancrase was you know there was no <laughs> way no pay-per-view that i knew of Nothing like that. And you wait for that VHS tape and you'd watch it. So it's hilarious. Well, that makes sense then that it would be kind of hard for the, you know, to get into the UFC, yeah. you know, because they had no idea. Well, no, no, no. The UFC knew all about Japan. I mean, it came from there. Guy Metzger, True. you yeah. know, Boss Root. I mean, a lot of their champs, a lot of their, you know, the Shamrocks, all I mean, a lot of their talent came from Pancreas. They knew exactly what it was. You know, they, they followed it. But I mean, he paid attention. I mean, you could you could look on you know the internet and see the results and stuff. But yeah, um, what what's your like? Joe Rogan thinks that you know there should be more weight classes. You know, and, and or, or or do you agree with it, or do you think it it shouldn't be that? You know, I mean, like I never cut that much. To be honest with you, I mean, uh, I, I I was probably the lightest 170 pounder out there. And to be honest, like if I was walking around, I'd probably be about 190. And yeah. then, like, when I had a fight camp, you know, a six-week camp, I'd probably, if I'm working hard, eating well, no, drink, not drinking any alcohol, like, I never would. Uh, for six weeks, I'd just be good and eat clean. I'd probably get down about 183, 182. And then, you know, the week I'd leave for the fight, you know, all I had to do is lose about 10, 12 pounds. That's easy. That's nothing. Um, I mean, there's a lot of those guys who'd be walking around over 200, you know, so they're doing a different kind of weight cut. But I, I think – a small weight cut is not bad. 30, 40 pounds, like, man, it's not good for your body, dude. It's not good for you at all, I don't think. And, um, yeah, I mean, not, I don't know if how many more weight classes I would like to see, but to me, 15 pounds is a pretty big jump. Yeah. You know, going from 170 to 185, um, I think maybe – 185, 165. That'd probably be a smart idea. Especially, um, to though. Me, it's up to individual, man, if they want to – kill themselves I, I don't think it helps that much i mean you see a lot of these fighters when they go up they do better look at anthony rumble johnson he cut down to 170 you know he did well but not elite and then all of a sudden he goes up to 205 and he's killing murdering everybody yeah. you know what i mean so it's like some guys you know i think you're seeing a lot more of that when people are deciding you know who do i look at when you cut down weight i mean those guys are faster more more athletic the the the, the, the best fighters really who can do they can do all look at Demetrius Johnson. He could take people. I mean, 135 pounders for now. I mean, the higher you get, the worse the fighters get. Now, I think about 170, 155, you kind of max out where you get speed and power and agility. But I mean, 85 people kind of slow down. I mean, I, I'm sorry. I think heavyweights, uh, they don't have the most skill. I mean, the heavier you are, I think the the, the less technically sound you have to be, in my opinion. I mean, I mean, think about it. Heavyweights, are usually, who's really good at, like, submission and, and stand-up? Usually they're, like, a knockout guy or they're great on the ground. They're not both. Everybody at the lower weights is good at both. You have to be, you know what I mean? So the higher you get, I think the worse, less technically sound you have to be. So to me, people wanting to cut down, you're dealing with tougher people. You're dealing with a tougher realm of, of, of uh, skill set you have to deal with. You better use that strength advantage because that's all you have by if you, if you cut down weight class so i don't think people should be cutting that much i like the way they do in one where like yeah you can't cut that much yeah and, and that, that that makes a lot more sense to me yeah one's actually pretty awesome i i love the muay thai fights that they have i don't know if you've been if you watch watch those um those guys are like really high level strikers i mean they're yeah, good i mean do they got <laughs> a fun concept going i mean they even do the grappling yeah 
I know even like I talked about the new things up to me and makes you move and do things differently. Yeah. Yeah. I really like what one does and how they do all their stuff. It sucks that they're, I know that they're kind of like the UFC was originally where they're lacking a lot of debt and everything, but I really do like what they do, how they're giving like all these Muay Thai guys, you know, a good platform and, you know, putting them out there. It's pretty cool. Um, it's real cool. So after, uh, after one of those, I think it was after the Dave Manet eight-man tournament. Um, was that when you fought uh, Nick Diaz? I might be. I know it was sometime after that. I can't remember. Yeah. I might be I skipping was, over some. It was, it was Nick Diaz. Was that his debut, or was or he he no, fought? No, he had a couple fights before that. Okay. He he had a few fights, but he wasn't. That's that's the reason. Like I've talked about it before, when I was like, I thought I'm not quitting the sport because I mean, like. You know, I was over on the fire department. I had four kids. I was busy doing a lot of stuff. And I am I go out to California for some fight. I think I was supposed to fight Jake Shields. And uh, they were like, man, he, he got staph infection. He can't fight. And then they're like, we got a, a different guy, a real good up-and-coming guy named Nick Diaz. He won Grappler's Quest. He won all this stuff. I'm like, all right, whatever. And I remember thinking, I'm going to kill this. I had many fights. And I'm going to smoke him. I've already fought in the UFC. I've been fighting in Japan. I'm going to kill this young kid. Yeah. And, uh. I lost a split decision. I was just like sitting there. I remember talking to my buddy Alex Stevens again. I was just like, dude, what am I doing here? Man? If I'm losing to these new guys nowadays, I mean, there's a sport passing me already. I'm just not as good as I thought I was. And I remember it's just like, you know, it, 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 after a while, you know, I, I, I got over that and I started, I, I continued to fight. But then I was glad to see about a year later, Nick and the UFC starting to beat people. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, he's really good. One just I got beat by some nobody. I got beat by a great guy who just wasn't, I didn't nobody knew he was great yet. You know what yeah. I mean? But at the time I didn't know that he could have been the nobody who just beat me. And I was like, man, <laughs> I'm not, I don't want to be here just to be an opponent. You know, like uh, if I'm going to fight, I want to be go out here beating people, beating, being the best, trying to be the best in the world. If I'm getting beat by nobody, I don't want to do it, but I, I didn't get beat by nobody. I just thought I did at the time. Yeah. Um, so you were fighting, you were able to find that fight, but that was a pretty fun one. Uh, no, I wasn't able to find it. I was looking for it. Um, I don't know where to find that out. A lot of your stuff. What wasn't that fight like outside? Huh? Wasn't that fight like outside or like in the middle oh, of dude. the desert or it something? Brutal, it was. It was. I remember. It was out. Yeah, it was outside. Luckily, it was like by the time I fought, it was it was dark out. But I remember when the fight started, the sun was just going down, and so I didn't get the full part of the heat. But it was burning up. I mean, it had to be over hundred degrees, man. I was. It, I remember in the last round, I was done. I was gassed. And I remember, if you ever watch me fight, you know, I don't take anybody down. I took him down. And I'm just <laughs> holding him down, trying to do a little action so they don't stand us up. In my corner, Alex once again is yelling, stand him up, rep, stand him up. And I'm like, no. <laughs> so he stood us up. And uh, about two minutes left, and Nick landed a punch and cut me. And I pretty much pulled guard and just sit there until the round's over. And he won split decision. So I remember afterwards, I was like, Alex, why did you tell them to stand me up? And he's like, man, you were wet on your feet. And I was like, man, yeah, but I was dead. I had nothing left. I was just trying to hold him down. I was like, you know, I don't take people down. So he's like, my bad. But it was hot. So uh, did you talk to Nick at all after that? Was yeah. I mean, he, was he pretty yeah, cool? No, he, was, he, he was good, man. I, I I talked to Nick. I remember I talked with Nate, too. Nate, was, you know, he was his uh, younger brother there. He came and hung out and talked with us quite a bit. But I was, I was bummed, man. I was just... It, it sucked, you know. I just thought, dumb UFC veteran just getting beat by some 21-year-old kid from California, man. I was just like, what the – a backup guy wasn't even supposed to fight me. I was like, what the hell, you know. So oh, was that – It was a rough day for me. 
Was that after your first fight in the UFC? I thought it was before. It was no, it, it was in like that was probably in two thousand and two. My first fight in the UFC was in two thousand, but it, I okay. it hadn't. It was that was with SEG. It wasn't when I came back and fought for Zufa. Yeah, it was before my first fight with Zufa. Yes. Yeah, so I skipped over myself there. I guess I thought that was before your first UFC fight. Of um, yeah. So your first UFC fight was UFC twenty eight. And it was against Ben Earwood or El- yep. something like that. Um, yeah, Militant's guy. How'd that right. go? And and what was it like? You know, your first fight in the UFC. What was the pay any good? Was it? I know oh, you said you weren't happy man. with it, but it was embarrassing. <laughs> it was embarrassingly low pay. It was nothing. Um, but uh, it was it, it was weird because it was only a two round fight. You know, and like my my thing was I was always in good shape and I was wanting to go out there and wear them out. But I mean, it was really weird because I remember. You know, us and, like, the militant squad were both from, like, the Midwest, so we kind of had, like, this disdain for each other, you know, because we're like, man, we we want to be, the, we all want to be the best in the, the area, you know what I mean? They were, obviously, had some great fighters. We know the Hughes and Tim Silva, just, you know, just a lot of good fighters. And so uh, I fought, you know, he was one of their guys, and I remember it was weird when the fight first started, he kind of just walked over, and didn't come out in the middle of the ring, kind of went over right by the fence, just kind of wait by the fence. I was like, okay, so I went over to try, like, I was always wanting to go for the finish, and all he would try to do is just take me down and hold me. And I remember, like, uh, it's just like, dude, this is boring. What's going <laughs> on here? Just let's fight. And um, two rounds to try and take me down and hold me down. I was just like, man, this is – I didn't like the way that went, you know, and so lost a decision based on just uh guy just kind of tried to out-wrestle me, you know, and I was like, oh. I didn't realize really that uh, with that didn't like my performance, didn't like really the way the UFC was at the time, and I was like, man, I'm gonna go over to Japan and fight where they actually you know, fight more. You know what I mean? It, it wasn't like I said. I like a lot about pride. Like it's not this ten point must system, which makes sense in boxing. If you got twelve rounds, ten point must make sense. In MMA, I think it makes no sense. You got three rounds. What if I dominate one round a lot of times and kind of beat you up and you? Have two close rounds that they give you. I I lost the fight. Well, I I disagree. You know. So to me, I don't like I don't like even anybody's style thing. The goals to go out there and hold you down or or try and just out jab you or anything. Whether it's all about whoever's doing the most damage, whoever's trying to push forward, you know, hurt the other person more. Usually they're winning. Um, it's always been my thought with MMA too. I want action. I want whoever's the way I look at it was like this. Like let's say this was not a fight in a cage there's no referee this is just a fight for life or death at the end of the fight you know who, who's gonna win well i i've i've never had to i've never been choked out never had to have on those things or been knocked out so my thought i'm like i'd win every fight i, mean, I look at um and if your, your goal is just to hold me down I, I don't think you win the fight so that, that's how i felt like that fight went and i was like i was just i i understood that that's a rule set and so i was kind of mad at myself for not being smart about trying to do something different, but it was just, uh, I don't know, not a good performance. Yeah. So I didn't realize that it was only a two round fight. That was still when the UFC was kind of trying to figure things out still. And UFC 28, man, it was 2000. Man. Yeah, it was, it was weird. It wasn't a, yeah, it was a two round fight. Dad. So I didn't know a lot of them were like two round fights. It didn't make any sense. Like, I, I don't know if it, if it was a draw, <laughs> They went to a third round. They said, I was like, what the hell? And I mean, I, I don't even know how many rounds I'm going. How long were the rounds? Was it five minutes or was it less? Or I think it was five minutes, yeah. Okay. But I mean, it was just different. 
Yeah, that's that, that's another one I didn't get to watch the other day. Um, so that was your UFC debut, but your UFC debut might as well have been uh, the Robbie Lawler fight because that's where everybody yeah. started to know who you were, and it was a pretty good fight. And you know, you want to talk about that for a little bit? And well, yeah, because you know, after that, I went back over to Japan and started fighting, and then immediately when I saw Zufa and Dana White and them got involved. I remember one of my buddies like, man, have you seen the, you know, UFC, you know, these new guys got bought it and uh, they put a lot of money and they're making it pretty good again. I was like, really? So when I started watching them fights, I'm thinking, man, I like this. You know what I mean? Like, this is, this is good. This is, they're turning around because I was not excited after the first time when, when SEG or yeah, owned it. And so then I started watching, you know, and I was like, man, I want to get back in here. Yeah, but the problem is they put on five or six fights a year and, and you know, they already had a roster. It's hard to get in. You can't just be like, I went in, they they, they told me, so okay. Some people like Robbie Lawler fight, you know, and I'm like, I, I kind of want to get in here and fight some of these guys. So it's getting good again. And be just, I was fighting in Japan a lot. I had to start fighting anybody I could in the Midwest scene and, and just try and go continue to rack up wins until they give me a shot. And um, got to keep clear. Eventually, they, they got me, gave me the call and said they were, uh, you know, I could fight Robbie Lawler. I think what it was, you know, really helped me then was I was starting to, I did some pro boxing. And so at that point, I'd had, I don't know, eight or nine, ten pro boxing matches. And so a lot of these people just thought, hey, we got this uh, pro boxer who wants to knock this this guy out real quick. And it'll be good because it'll give him more credentials as knocking out a legitimate pro boxer. It was like, oh, you can think I'm a pro boxer all you want. <laughs> I mean, I am a pro boxer, but. That's not my forte, but whatever. As long as you get me in there, let's do it. So, um, you're pretty fortunate, you know, like as far as for that time period, like the pretty good, you know, MMA scene and, and a lot. Cause I know down in, in Texas around that time period, I mean, there was no, nowhere that anybody could fight, you know, there was no organizations in this area. There weren't a whole lot of gyms anywhere, you know, um, was, there's a pretty good scene up there and, and, Indiana, right? Oh, yeah. Big Eve Edwards back then, I know when he, uh, Hook and Shoot kind of went down there and put on a fight or something. And that's when he fought um, a couple, he fought for Hook and Shoot a little bit, did some good things there. Um, oh, it, it was just a harder time to get fights for a lot of places a lot of times. And the uh, thing I've learned is like, it's really tough if you don't have a place that's kind of setting up fights for you. Like, place like Hook and Shoot, like, they didn't really. They didn't care. Like, they just wanted to put on good fights. You know, they weren't trying to build anybody up. They just gave you the opportunity, and, and whoever came and fought, whoever won, then they say, okay, this is a good guy. We'll try and get him at the next level. So that's why it kind of, you know, like I said, I remember I think Eve Edwards was able to go down and, and put on a great show against uh, um, Aaron Riley, and Aaron Riley had fought Robbie Lawler in the UFC and made a great name for himself for had like an iron chin. So it just yeah. kind of really, you know, helped legitimize certain people. But, I mean, it was just a, there wasn't as, like, you knew there was, there was a small group of people who you knew who were fighting, and, and that made it a lot easier, because, like I said, and the UFC roster, they put, what, five, six fights on a year, so, you know, you knew all the fighters, it made a lot of fun. Yeah, and Eve Edwards, Eve Edwards was really good. Uh, oh, I really, great. And you destroyed Aaron Riley, and what organization was that with when you fought Aaron Riley? That was, that's who that was? Okay. Yeah, it's weird, because that was pretty much like his... His backyard. Yeah. <laughs> I was brought in, but I don't think it was the win. Yeah. <laughs> um, is that the, uh, 
Is that where, when uh, your sister in law got into got into it with? A little bit, yeah. <laughs> like I said, I was brought in. I guess I'm not saying I was brought in loose at all, but I was brought in, and, and like I said, he definitely had pretty much everybody in the stadiums cheering for him, except for my wife, my sister in law, my in law. It was like four four fans for me. <laughs> And afterwards, apparently, it didn't go real well for them. There's a little bit of a ruckus, but uh, you know. <laughs> well, is it a is it crazy to you that guys like Robbie Lawler are still are still Ooh. fighting? And you know, I mean, I mean, I knew he was a lot younger than me back then. He's you know, I don't know what seven years. I, I don't know. He was a lot younger than me, but yeah, I mean, to me, I mean, I don't like it. And the only reason I don't like it is. I feel like boxing is probably the most dangerous sport. And by that, I mean, from a brain damage standpoint, you take so many shots in the head. Um, however, MMA closely behind that. And it's not, I don't care if you, but just taking those shots for that long, all the fighters, all my favorite boxers ended up talking funny, having some kind of brain damage. I mean, all of them. So yeah. At some point, that's going to happen to all fighters if you keep fighting. I don't care. There, there's just no way to avoid it. So that was one of my thoughts always and why I kind of wanted to stop early was I, I didn't want – that's not going to happen. You know, I, I, I can't have that. I, I remember one of my first – my second pro boxing fight was in Memphis, Tennessee, and I went, and um, the guy checking us in, he said something. I said, what the hell was he talking? I, like, <laughs> I, I was I was kind of nervous. Like, I don't know if I want to box anymore. He's like, man, trust me. He's like – I'm not going to let that happen to you. I'm like, how's that? And he's like, well, we're only, I'm only letting you have five wars after your fifth war. We're, I don't care what's going on in your career. We're done. You know, if you like, if you go out there and knock somebody out in the first round, second round, third, that's fine. But if you have a fight back and forth fight, we're not doing a bunch of those because you're not going to end up like that. I was like, all right, cool. So I think I ended up with like two boxing wars that I fought. And, and then I had to sign my last UFC contract or my first one. They, they, I couldn't box anymore. That's what led to early retirement for boxing. But, you know, that's uh, – I, I just can't see that as an option to go down that path. And, and, and you don't know until it's too late that you've went down that path. You know, yeah. so it's important to be around people who understand that and you know and you trust and they don't let you go down. But every boxer thinks they have another one left in them. Every fighter thinks they have another one left in them. And I don't want to see Robbie all messed up at the end of his life or – hell not the end of his life for the next 40 years be all messed up and talking funny and i just don't like that man i i hope hope he doesn't that doesn't happen to him hope he's been smart and he gotta quit at some point but i mean that's who you are and that's what you do what do you want you to be retired when you're 38 and not what do you do the rest of your life you know what i mean you have to have a goal and a purpose i mean luckily for me i've transitioned you know i've, I've i got commentary that i'm doing you have to you have to i'm always telling fighters when they're Fine, you have to have an exit strategy. Like, um, I don't know, you would be a coach, be a commentator, be a trainer, be a, be a chef, do something else. You have to think of something while you're fighting. Don't make this where you have to keep fighting, you have nothing else going on, at the end be like, okay, nobody will let me fight because I got knocked out in my last four fights. Now what do I do? And start planning in. You're, it's too late, man. You better figure that out now while you're doing it and work towards that. You can't wait till the very end, I don't think. I mean, some people do. Yeah, I can't wrap my mind around, you know, why – like with some fighters, you know, like if you look at, you know, Jim Miller right now, for instance, you know, he's on a little three fight win streak, but they've yeah. given him, you know, the good, the good fights, you know, he's fighting guys that, have, you know, UFC debuts or, 
you know, older guys that have been around as long as him and he's doing really well. And then they get, they'll take these other guys like, you know, Shogun last, you know, last yeah. week and what put them in there with a killer. Knocked out by some young, or Frankie Edgar, you know, Frankie yeah, that's another still, one. I mean, one of the greatest guys we've had in there and just a good person. And they get him against some kid with a seven fight win streak just to get him knocked out. It's like, that didn't help either guy. I mean, I mean, why you can put him in there with those killers? I, I don't know, but like Frankie Edgar, Chuck Liddell, Matt Hughes, a lot of the guys who you, you yeah. know and like and respect, and they get them knocked out four of the last five fights. I'm like, dude, that's not like I never. You know, that was I was like, I'm gonna tell myself when I'm done, and I'm going out on my terms, not on because nobody will pay me to fight him. I'm not doing that, man. It just that, I feel like when that happens, there's very few guys who can leave this sport and have fine members or have a good taste and they have a very negative view of fighting in the UFC and I never want that to be me so I have, I have great memories and great views and I, I couldn't trade that for anything yeah yeah it really bothers me the, that's another thing that 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 I hate is that you know like the newer fans the people that you know have, have 25 years or whatever you know <laughs> like I have or whatever and yeah. you know they all they see of Frankie Edgar is him you know getting yeah. getting finished in his last few fights and I just hate that you know, because people know, don't. I mean, about when he when he when he when he when he fought the bully, you know, and he goes out there and he gets beat, like doesn't even remember the first one, gets knocked yeah. down like three times, and just comes back and was and he was he was way underweight. You know? Yep, that's what I was gonna say. He he, that was before the smaller weight classes. You know, he belonged at you know featherweight or whatever. He and, didn't cut weight. And he fought at one fifty five. Yeah, and he was a champion, and he and he defended the belt a few times. He beat B J Penn, which was a at the time a really bad bad dude. <laughs> unbelievable man you know uh, but yeah i can i hate it when they do that that's another thing you, i just hate seeing that um you know like i'll save that for later we'll talk about that later but um yeah. <laughs> uh so after the robbie lawler fight you had Kiki gosen and ronald Jun along uh with a win in wec over jt taylor <clears throat> and um what was it like well i know about the uh, we'll talk about the with the WC, were they fairly new at that point? Had they been around a while? Um, you know, what was it like? They've been around for a while, and um, a guy named Scott Adams was kind of their main guy. He fought in the UFC before, but uh, I don't know what happened. He was like their main guy I used to talk to, for the, like one of the, the main guys. I liked him a lot, and uh, he'd get a hold of me. And like I said, even when you fought in the UFC back then, they didn't sign contracts because it was only at five or six a year, so what you might fight for him twice a year. It's like, I, I'm used to fighting 10 times a year, eight times a year. I'm like, I'm not, and like nobody could get by. You weren't making that much money. So everybody had to fight more. So you fought for other people besides UFC. Um, they'd always kind of tell you, Hey, don't lose. <laughs> Cause if you lose, they might not invite you back. So there's a lot of pressure on these other ones, but uh, it was treating me very well. Um, for my manager at the time, Phil Slee would get me hooked up with them. And you know, it, it was, uh, it was at UFC level, but they were doing some good things. And it was always out in Lemoore, California. When you go out there and have a good time, it was. Uh, I felt like it was definitely a step below the UFC. You know, the the, the caliber of the fighters weren't good, but it was a good organization. I thought they they were fair with people and took care of everybody very well. And it was funny because you know they 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 had bigger guys back then, but I mean they they really had a lot of good 145 pound fighters, 135 pound fighters, and uh, nobody else had them. You know, like UFC never had, it. and that's when UFC decided to bring that there and they just bought the WEC because they had all the best fight away fighters. Yeah. So I understand that, uh, you requested 
uh, JT Taylor uh, for for that fight. Did you not? <laughs> well, yes and no. Like I, um, he, I was supposed to fight him before, and uh, if you look on there, you see I had a couple of the fights you talked about, three submission wins, like a couple of them in the UFC. Um, well, you know, I was scheduled to fight him maybe once or twice, and the UFC called. I said, yeah, I'm doing the UFC. Call Scott Adams. He goes, absolutely, you got to take the UFC. Well, this dude goes all over the internet and that called me a pussy and like I'm an embarrassment to the sport and I shouldn't be allowed to fight anymore because I'm a coward and all this. I'm like, I didn't know who he was. I'm like, who is this guy? So he, he piqued my interest. I was like, if he was smart, he wouldn't have said a word. And I might have actually talked. People, you, people need to talk trash about me because I'm trying to be disrespectful. He's like, I'm going to fight this guy. I requested him. And I said, absolutely. I want to fight this guy. I want to fight this guy. So then, you know. Uh, fight comes and uh, he talked a big game. I submitted him in about two minutes, and I was like, "That's that's it. That's all, all your talk. That's all you got." And I get he tried to do the same thing to like Matt Lindland. I think he I don't know if he's a like psychotic or a lunatic or what was wrong, but he, uh, he wanted he he did a good job of trying to earn the big fight. He just didn't ever win him. <laughs> you know, so, something's wrong with the guy. I don't know. Yeah, D- Dennis Hallman was the guy who used to come out in the the speedos and stuff right was that the blonde guy he did that yeah he did the, dennis, <laughs> dennis holman submitted matt hughes twice really in less than a minute total i think he submitted him once in about 10 seconds once in about 20 seconds dennis holman's legit fight he, yeah. he was good for for a long very good yeah i'd hate to be grappling with that guy wearing that try and put you in the north south position with this with a speedo yeah. on <laughs> earn, earn the tap that way <laughs> so uh, next up, you fought Caro Parisian, and Ooh, yeah. yeah, how how good was was his judo, and and what did you know, how strong was he? I, I was always really impressed with with him back in the day. And his his judo was on point, man. I remember thinking with that fight, you know, my game plan. I obviously just wanted to strike with the guy. I didn't think his striking was very good, you know. Um, so, but he did a great job of. Like, I think when I fought him, it was probably at one of his peaks, you know, and, and he did a great job avoiding the shot and, and moving in. And, and he'd avoid shot. Like, when you're throwing punches, you know, that, that's that's my problem. As, as a boxer, I was an inside fighter. I'm a Julio Cesar Chavez type of inside grinder, uppercut, boom, just a dirty, nasty, grindy fighter. You can't do that in MMA. I mean, MMA, as soon as you try to do it, they grab it. You know what I mean? The only thing you can really strike and effective in MMA is more nice, cream, clean, crisp, like a long-range fighter is really good as a boxer mma doesn't work well so my boxing wasn't as effective there because i try to get in and do my grimy fight well then he grabbed me i was like well, now i'm in his world you know what i mean so and he had a couple really good tosses on me i was like man this guy and i wouldn't say overly strong is the right word but good with his hips and just being pressured you know he, yeah. he when he'd get in a good position he put all his weight on you it's just hard to move him around and just uh you know Bad, that bad style matchup for for what I was trying to do at the time. I was trying to get out there, either submit you or knock you out. Yeah. And his goal was to try and throw me and hold me down and, and wear me down. That's what happened. Yeah, I remember him being one of like the few people that you know, whenever they say somebody's like a judo, whatever, you know, like most of them don't really turn out to be, you know, super impressive. Yeah. But <laughs> but he was one of the ones that was for sure. <laughs> he could use it. He, he was one of the few guys who could actually use it effectively. There, you know what I mean. Um, what else? Uh, so, did you um, ever hang out or know 
you know, Chuck and Chuck Liddell and Tito and, and stuff like that. And man, I remember I went to Japan, one of my fights in Japan, um, they showed up together. Yeah. I remember I was kind of, Oh my God, it's Chuck and Tito. You know, I remember I got to roll with, 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 Tito, Chuck had hurt his ankle. He didn't come out and we'll see if he can fight. He didn't end up fighting, but I remember afterwards, me and, uh, it's funny, me and, like, how it always worked in Japan, you would, Pungi's like the big bar district. And uh, I'd leave, we'd leave the next day. So you'd have about a 12 hour period you could go hang out. And I remember I went out with Tito, and I think it was his 25th birthday. And I remember buying him a bunch of drinks, and we'd kind of hang out and drank a lot. And, uh, Remember trying to get Chuck a drink. He's like, nah, I don't. I'm not. I don't drink. I remember thinking, you don't drink. And I see him later on, you know, about three years later, and he's just, you know, smashed all over TV. I was like, oh, all right. I guess he picked up the habit of it. Yeah. Maybe back then he was concentrating on training or whatever, but he didn't drink. But yeah, having hang out with those guys was uh, kind of cool, kind of help, yeah. you know, almost boost your confidence a little bit, knowing you're you're uh, you're, you're you're training and fighting with these guys you see on TV. So it really but- helped out. Was that back when Chuck was the man, you know, that that was before Chuck was a man. That was when Tito was the man. <laughs> really? That was when Tito was, uh, like I say, it's probably his 25th birthday. Gee, it was probably in 2000. Right around. It's probably, yeah, I think it's right around here, 2000. So he was, be honest with you, people don't realize this. Even people who started watching the UFC, you know, a long time ago. He carried that organization for years. When Dana White and Zufa first bought it, it wasn't the Chuck show. It was a Tito. He was the biggest thing on – I mean, he carried the UFC for a couple of years. Yeah. Yeah, I remember – I don't know what happened with him and uh, Dana and all that stuff. And I remember there was some – I sat through like a whole hour and a half long TV show one time. Yeah, and they're saying Dana's going to box Tito and yeah, nothing. Yeah. <laughs> I was pissed off. I kept looking at people like, well, the thing's over in 12 minutes. I lied to, you know what I mean? Yeah, I watched that thing too. It was great. So, um, so you had a lot, like the UFC just didn't care at all back then about, about you fighting, you know, with other organizations and, and all that. No, and it, it's, they had no contracts. Cause like I said, they, they knew they couldn't, man. They do. They, I remember like my contract when I fought Robbie Lawler, I got paid two and two, two thousand. So, you know, I lost I, in, a, in 2000. You take away my license fee, my corner man fees, all that. I made like 1800 bucks. You can't make me fight twice a year, 1800 bucks, and then expect me to just do that. I mean, they couldn't. So yeah. they, they had no contract. They just let you do whatever. So so even like the, you know, the champions or whatever, they were free to to fight wherever well, or, I, whether, well, or were they stuck? Here's when that stopped. BJ Penn says, okay, he goes, he, he loses for the title 155. Says, I'm going to go up and fight Matt Hughes. I go, what? Okay. He goes up and fights Matt Hughes. He beats Matt Hughes. Everybody was shocked. And he goes, okay. Um, he went over and fought in Japan. They're like, no, I mean, they didn't have him under contract. He could go do whatever he wanted. Yeah. So that doesn't happen anymore. And that, right when BJ Penn, he, he changed things. So once once he said that, then they started locking everybody down. Yeah. Now you are signed to UFC. So, but it wasn't until BJ Penn beat Matt Hughes and they couldn't come to a deal on a contract. He wanted more money than they wanted to offer. So he goes, okay, I'll go over to Japan and fight. And they go, oh, Jesus, we got to we gotta lock these guys down before <laughs> they get a title from now on. Then they start locking everybody down. Yeah. And I remember at one point Dana was taking Chuck. I guess that was before the BJ Penn thing probably, huh? That might have been, or maybe not. That might have been. I mean, you know, the UFC could do whatever they want. So since Dana wanted him to go over there, I mean, they can always 
break that and go let him do whatever he wants. I mean, you got to understand something. UFC contracts are set up to help the UFC. They're not help, set up to help the fight at all. I mean, yeah. so they can UFC can cut your contract at any time they want. They could have cut his contract and said, "We'll write you a new one. Just go do this for it." I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't remember when that was. Yeah, it was right around the same time though. Yeah. Yeah, Pride always had a lot of good fights. They had a lot of talented people over there that never got a got a chance over here. I mean, Pride was a lot of people. I used to love watching Pride. <laughs> it's a uh, it's extremely fun to watch, man. And I re- I don't remember what was the uh, you might have legend over there. He had been fighting forever, and he was fighting in Pride, and his freaking ear fell off because he'd had so much like you know reconstructive surgery and yeah. and I, I, don't, I don't remember who it was but i just remember his ear falling off and thinking he was just laughing about it you know he's got his ear in his hand <laughs> you know pretty crazy yeah. i can't remember who it was though i don't know but i remember i don't care if anybody says for a brief period at least in the sport you know sakuraba was probably the best fighter in the world that dude was oh and he wasn't very big but i mean just the people they'd throw him in with it was unbelievable that dude was not that big of a guy, and he was—he was—he uh, did some amazing stuff. A lot of fun to watch. You go watch that 2000 Grand Prix, and when he fights Royce Gracie for an hour and a half, <laughs> hour and a half in one night—that's crazy. Wins, and then he has to fight another fight after that against Igor Vochanson, who was 240 that, pounds. That guy was good too. <laughs> oh, dude, he was a tank. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah, unbelievable. I mean, how can you fight somebody for an hour and a half? I've never heard of such. <laughs> that's pretty crazy. Uh, yeah. So after that, you ended up fighting Joe Riggs. Yeah. And uh, you know, were you two? Did you were you two guys familiar with each other? And, and... we were friends. We were friends. Uh, it was tough. I remember as soon as I got the phone call from Joe Silva, I was like, "Damn," because Joe fought when I first met Joe. He's fighting at two hundred five. You know, I was like, "Damn, he's a big guy." And then he cut down to one. He dropped down to one seventy. I was like, "Damn, all right." You know, and I was like. I have a sickness or something. I can't turn down a fight or else I feel like I'm a coward. So I was like, yeah. right, I'll take it. And then uh, right afterwards, Joe called me. He's like, man, you know, it sucks, you know, we, I, I, you know, because we were buddies. He's like, I didn't really want to fight you, but, you know, it's not like nowadays. You could probably tell people what you want. They said, this is who you're fighting. You go, okay. Or, you know, and they probably wouldn't call you anymore. So yeah. <laughs> um, I said, all right, you know, we'll do this. And uh, it uh, it is what it is, man. I didn't really want to fight a buddy, but. I've had to fight buddies before and had to fight them afterwards. It is what it is. You have to do it. Yeah. And that was one of the, cause you've never been submitted. You've never been knocked out. Correct. In correct. In boxing or MMA or, or anything. Right. Yeah. But that, that one was, that was a very frustrating one. Cause man, I mean, if, if you watch the fight, um, you know, some, it's funny. I went after the fight, I went and trained with Joe once for about two weeks. I don't think I took him down once. In the fight, I take him down the first round. <laughs> he goes and tries to, like, double underhook me. And I was like, oh, I'm in trouble. I threw a headlock and got on top. I'm like, oh, okay, you know. And I'm feeling good and uh, a ton. I remember he hit me once. I grabbed the end of the round. And I just, like, sit up. I'm just, like, hearing ring. Bing. And I kind of look around. I'm like, what's going on here? And then I look, and he's about to hit me again. I'm like, oh, I kind of came to. And um, he rocked me, kind of busted my eye open a little bit. But then um, second round, I remember I get on, like, he takes me down right away, and I reverse and get on top. I'm like, okay. And I could tell, like, it was his first time making 70. I could tell he's done. Like, he, he and he's told me since, and he's like, man, I had I was done. <laughs> he's like, I had nothing left. And I'm working on passing his guard, and he's on bottom, and he just threw, throws an elbow up and hits me in the head. And 
cut me open. I was like, man, I remember this was funny. I remember, you know, John McCarthy comes over and he's like, Bert, let me look. And then they got the doctor in and they got stuff on my face. You know, they're covering my eye and they're, they're doing all this stuff. And I remember pretty bad. I'm thinking shit. I remember after about a minute, I go, you know, I, I think I'm going to be all right. I think I can fight. I remember John McCarthy goes, what? Over and I look over and there's like, <laughs> you know, Bruce Buffer's in there, the ring cards. I'm like, oh, okay, the fight. Never mind. I thought the fight was still going. They're like, no, the fight's over, dude. So that sucked. You know, that that really hurt me because I lost, you know, I lost like two UFCs in a row. It's like, man, I mean, you never knew what that means. So that uh, that was a very bad. I felt like I, I had a great chance of winning that fight. You know, I'm passing his guard. Uh, if I pass his guard, I know he was tired. I felt like, okay, this is my time to shine. And because of that fight. So I was like, damn, I knew I was close to getting to where I wanted to be and it just kind of knocked me back a couple of notches. Yeah. But that led to me getting on the ultimate fighter, so I can't complain. Yeah, you were uh you were really close, you know, to a title shot several times, in my opinion. You know, I don't know I can't remember what the rankings were back then or anything, but you know, in, in my opinion you were you were pretty close and uh, I was always, you know, so disappointed that I never got to see that GSP yeah, fight <laughs> because I could just totally see a world where, you know, because you had such a good guillotine and that was before GSP had really like tightened everything up, you know, and, and all that. And I could just see him shooting those takedowns and you catching him in that guillotine because you had so many guillotine wins and, you know, that throughout your career and you had a really good guillotine. And I, I could just picture that in my head, you know, being a big Matt, fan of yours and everything. When I fought Matt Hughes, I, I thought I was going to get him, and I had it, I had it in there really tight. I knew I did, and I was like, man, I got this. I remember right at the beginning, I thought I thought this fight was about to be over right now. But he was really smart. I remember at my right leg over his back, I had the guillotine in tight, but he put all his weight on my left leg, so I had to get my left leg over to push his hips away. And he just kept putting all his weight on that right, that left leg and wouldn't let me get it around him. And so I just kind of – I was like, man, I was trying to pull that leg out. If I could have pulled out and pushed his hips away, I think that fight's over. And he knew that. I knew it. And, and he didn't let me have it. So I remember I probably tried for about 10 seconds to squeeze. I'm thinking, man, you're not going to get it. You're just going to gash your arms out. You have to let go and go to something else. So, but, I mean, it just really showed me how the dude was really understood everything about, about grappling, where everything needed to be, what, I mean, what positioning was. He knew if he just held that leg, I couldn't finish him, and I was going to wear myself out. So, I had to move on. Yeah. Was that when GSP had the title when you fought Matt Hughes or yes. was it? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, they, like after I was on the ultimate fighter, they, they fought like whoever won the ultimate fighter got the title fight. Well, Matt Hughes still had it, but as soon as our thing was over, GSP in the rematch beats Matt Hughes. So then GSP yeah. holds the title. Hughes was trying to get back in that title picture when I fought him. So, I, I mean, I, I took that fight. I was thinking, man, I just, you know, uh, I might be going out of order for you, but I was like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm doing whatever I can to get right back in that title hunt. So I'll fight Matt Hughes. And uh, if I win that one, then I'm, I'm set up for the title. Yeah. Yeah. I'm kind of getting myself out of order too. Cause I keep bringing up stuff that I meant to save, yeah. but, but uh, so let's talk about the ultimate fighter show and yeah. how that, how that came about and, and mm -hmm. what it was like for you. Cause that's where I really got to know you as a fan. Cause I'd seen your other fights and stuff, but I, cause you just seemed like you were, you were, you know, just seemed like a normal guy that could just kick people's ass, you know, like you're a firefighter, you know, and that's just, I guess that's probably why I liked you better than everybody else that was on the, on the show. You know, I don't, I don't know why, yeah. but, but, uh, how did that all come about and, 
Because, I mean, they acted like it's the comeback, but you weren't ever really gone. So I, I know. That's why I felt like, I was like oh, what? <laughs> I was like, I'm not here. No, uh, I just got a phone call um, from Joe Silva, and he was like, yeah, we got this idea. We're going to do the uh, – we got we got the comeback. It's going to be, you know, actual people in the UFC, not people who hadn't made it there yet. We're going to bring UFC veterans in. And get, I remember talking to Danny, like, you're going to get a title fight, whoever wins, and we really want you on here. I was like, hell yeah, I'd love to do this. And, uh, you know, I, I knew from – watching the ultimate fighter how you know you got these other guys who in my opinion hadn't been as that great you know and they were getting so much publicity and like everybody knew everything about them they're getting more sponsorship they're getting us all the stuff that you know people are going to get to see you and then they're going to get to know you and watch you and then they're going to want to they're going to root for you root against you whatever it's going to be but you know this is everything we would want to get and going on this show is going to help but not only that just me being on the show you got to understand the whole time i was doing it i got to train and kids and work on the fire department you know, for many years after that, it's 2006. I hadn't been able to train like a like a real fighter ever since. I mean, I did, but I mean, not like everybody else. Like, like I said, I always had to go to the firehouse, and I always had to to have, you know have the family. This is the only time really in my career I had like six weeks of just just going in every day and working out with some of the best guys in the world. So just go immerse yourself in that because I never got to do it. Um, a lot of people complain like, oh man, I don't have my phone. I was like, I don't care about a TV. I just want to be there training. And um, enjoying it, man. I remember me and Matt Sayer would talk about that, like about that a lot. Just talking about how good of an opportunity it was to go, you know, made a lot of good friends there, great people. Um, most of those fighters were awesome. I was lucky. On, I was on the the comeback where you already had UFC veterans. If I had people like peeing in my food and piss yeah. on my bed, I'd have, I'd have killed somebody. So yeah. I'm just glad everybody was cool there. Who who were the coaches of uh, on on that on that season? It, we didn't have like coaches. We That's had what I was thinking. Randy Couture, you know. George St. Pierre, they would coach both. They would take this is a workout for the day. They give it to both teams. So, but the, and they wouldn't, but they, like they said, look, you, what they felt like was people like me, and, and, you know, Matt, so just some of the guys that we had more fights than probably Randy or George St. Pierre combined. So, yeah. like, we can't be the coaches. We're just going to offer you guys your coach and tell you what to do. So, they just kind of let us do our own thing. Um, I love the concept. It was great. And so your first fight in the on the show, you fought Pete Spratt, and you had already beat him before. Were you pretty confident going into that fight? Absolutely. That's like the weird thing about that is when you get control of, like, we got control of picking what the fights, and you want to know who you want the best matchups possible. So we're like, all right, you know, as soon as we got control, they go, okay. Um, who who should we put on there? And when I got to my weight class, I said, well, I already fought Pete Spratt once and I beat him in a minute. And they're like, well, let's do that again so we can keep control. You know, you don't want to lose control, like pick a, a different fight. So they felt like you already beat him once in a minute, you're going to beat him again. And that gives keeps control for us. So then I was like, all right, that was quite a bit of pressure because you wouldn't think there would be. You think like, this is all about me. I don't care. This is a, you know, but it, you did feel like, man, I, there's a lot. Of, I want to help my team out. <laughs> you wouldn't think you'd care about the team because this is an individual sport, but you did. So I was like, man, I got to beat this guy because I want to keep my team in control so they can get the better matchup. So, yeah. um, you know, I knew the game plan there. I knew Pete was a phenomenal athlete. I knew he was great on his feet, and I felt like he had some holes in his, in his groundwork. So get him to the ground as soon as possible and, and, and submit him. So, next up, you fought. Who was it? Uh, Dean Thomas. Yeah. And did you did you submit him as well? How good Dean Thomas is on the ground, man. Um, 
funny thing is like me and him would like most people got some kind of staph infection um on that show and so there was a long time people couldn't train very much but like, me and dina didn't really get it so we trained together about every day just a lot of a lot of sparring i remember sometimes we'd be sparring and boxing and i'd look over and like be like four people just sitting there watching us. i'm like train do something what do you want let's <laughs> watch this for and uh, so we had a lot of really good rounds um and so we had to fight and, and um i just really tried to step up my punching power and throw hard punches because i knew he's really slick and really good to make him he would kind of like try and take me down or pull guard and i'd be on top and i know just from training with him though that how good his triangle chokes were and i knew he, I had to fight kind of a, a safe fight because if I was open and trying, like it's hard to pass his guard, and if I did, if I really tried, he'd probably get me a triangle choke. So I decided to try and control him a lot of the fight and try and beat him on my feet as much as I can, get as many takedowns when he tried to shoot in, and just kind of control the pace of the fight. And so that's what happened. What a great fight because his his skill level was so high. I knew I had to be careful with him. I mean, I don't think people really ever gave him the credit he deserved as far as his ground. On you know talking oh yeah during the fights and everything and. I remember him being being pretty good. Um, He's very, I mean, he, I think he was better than people gave him credit for. I mean, his stand-up was crisp and clean. He had good reach, and uh, his ground was really good. Um, he just uh, – I remember one of his fights, a big fight, he was fighting uh, Kenny Florian, and he blew his knee out in the middle of the fight, and that was it. So, I mean, yeah. the end of the fight, actually. Uh, so, you fought Matt Hughes – in the ultimate finale fight. Matt oh, sorry. Matt Sarah, my bad. Yeah. Um, yeah. Matt Sarah, and tell us about that fight and tell us about how it affected your your career and what, what all changed after that fight. That was a changing point and not in my career, but I feel like my life in many ways. Um, horrible fight, to be honest with you. Uh, the problem was, you know, the winner got, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars, a title shot, a car, a watch, all sort of stuff. The loser got about 10 grand. So it's yeah. just like a, kind of a big difference. I don't think they should ever put that kind of pressure on anybody like that. That I mean, that's that's just way too much disparity difference. And, I mean, if you make it, that, that that's not right. Yeah. Um. So neither one of us wanted to lose. It, it, that was a fight where nobody fought to win. Both guys fought to lose. We've talked about it, you know, like he was afraid to do anything to lose. I was too. Um, just a difference in really difference in what we thought was going on there. I mean, looking at it now, um, you know, he would push me into the fence and I was like, all right, you know, I'd, I'd stay there. And I was like, okay, I'm, he'd had a couple of dumbbell underhooks. He'd try to take me down. I'd stop him and I'd hit him a little bit in the side and hit him in the face a little bit. I mean, the way I was looking at it was, you know, he's not doing any damage to me and I'm doing like on a scale of one to 10, I'm doing like, you know, so every time he try and take me down, I would just lean against the fence and kind of, those are the little shots. You know, looking back, I know he was thinking, well, I'm pushing this guy against the fence. I'm winning the fight. And you could tell the judges didn't know what to think because one of the judges gave me all three rounds, and then the other ones gave, the other two gave him all three rounds. So it's like, you know, I've never seen a split decision like that. I've never yeah. seen a split decision where one judge gives you all three rounds and the other judge just gives them all three rounds. Like, they just didn't know how to score it. And I didn't know how to score it. I was like, man, I mean, I thought I was winning, you know, because I thought I'm doing the damage, and I thought that's what they said. In my eyes, I'm winning, um, so I lose that split decision, and I was just, like, devastated, man. I was like, man, all the, I mean, I didn't get as much money as I wanted. I didn't get my title shot. I didn't get any of this stuff, and it just made me really, like, that was another time I, was, you know, thought about quitting, and I was, I was like, man, I got I to gotta go earn that money. I got to earn, and I got to 
change what I do. I was like, I'm never going to try and win a decision again because that was the only fight I can really think of that I was like, I'm going to win a decision. I'm going to, I'm going to outpoint this. I know, I mean, Matt's tough to do anything to. You're not going to submit him. Think of submit Matt Sarah? No. You think it's tough to knock out? I was like, I'm not going to do that. So I'm going to win a decision. And after that, I'm like, you know, never going to try to do that again. I'll, I'll do anything. I'd rather go out there and lose trying to fight my fight than go out there and try and win a decision. I'm just never going to do it. And after I decided to do that, you know, my career changed. I won 10 bonuses in my next 13 fights, I think, you know. So it was just, it really changed. I was like, I, I, I was more exciting. I was fun to watch. I gained a lot more fans. And I just, um, it wasn't that I didn't care. I just said, man, you know, I'd rather, I, I'm going to fight this way no matter what. Like, I can't live with myself. Like, when I lost at it, I felt bad. Not only that I didn't win that fight, but I didn't even fight the way I wanted to fight. I fought like just a safe fight and I'm always against that I hate that so I myself not like myself just for money and I was like man I just can't do that I just can't live with myself if I do that again so after I made that decision it never happened again so but I say that helped me from a fight standpoint but also just in my life I kind of decided like after that I felt that um you know some people deal with adversity and deal with problems and it it makes them better and some people it destroys them and I felt like um it just let me know that no matter what happens I'm gonna keep fighting and, and work on things and get better and improve and, and find ways to accomplish my goals no matter what you know I don't care if my house burns out here what happens I'm gonna figure it out what I have to do to be successful in that fight like if you don't deal with adversity you're never gonna figure that out let's say I win that fight and I go and I fight for the title whatever I mean Maybe I never developed these other skills that I have to, to, to come up to solve problems in my life, but, yeah. but it happened and I feel like I have them now. So in many ways, that was a terrible night and a terrible fight. In many ways, it was the greatest thing that ever happened to me because I feel like I'm a much better person because of it. So you're probably one of the few people that's ever gotten the, uh, the, the double bonuses, correct? You don't hear about uh, people getting those a lot. I've gotten them before, but I don't know if I'm the only, the only one. Yeah. I just never hear about it. You're the only person I've ever heard about getting, you know, double bonuses, uh, usually for what submission of the night and fight of the night, probably. Or yeah, I got sub of the night and fight of the night. That was uh, not that fight, but yeah, at the end yeah, I did get that one. But uh, now I was mad. I, there was a, a couple of situations I thought I was going to get the sub of the night. Well, one of them. I remember when I fought Matt Brown. Uh, I'm jumping ahead for it, but I got that double submission on him. Yeah. And I was all excited. I was like, it looks like sub of the night. And then uh, Brock Lesnar gets beat up by Shane Carlin for a round. And then he <laughs> takes him down and chokes him with just like a yeah. wrestler, squeeze him the head, and they gave him the sub of the yeah, night. Yeah, he I'm shouldn't like, have got that. Me? That wasn't even a good sub. <laughs> it's terrible. Yeah. That's pissed. But whatever. Okay. So the Matt Serified. And um, <laughs> so you have a like a super unique you know, style, even like, you know, the way you hold your hands and, and everything. And, you know, you're, you were real heavy on the front leg, you know, um, I just, I guess I might've just noticed it more after the Sarah fight or, or maybe it was there all along and I just didn't, didn't pick up on it. Was that something that you kind of switched around, um, after the Sarah fight or, well, I don't know if I'd say I switched around, but that was, I think, when I got more of the mindset, like, not that I don't care, but I was like, I I'm looking to take people out as soon as possible. So I was like, I'm going to try and knock you out. And if I can't, uh, yeah, you probably could take me down, but I'm going to I'm gonna be going for the submission the whole time. Like, I, I do not want to go the distance. I hated judging. I've always hated judging. 
I disagree. Like I said, it goes back to my days in Japan. I thought I won some of those fights. I got called draws or, or majority losses. I was like, I, I just, I learned, I don't know what judges are looking for. I've lost five split decisions, you know? So I'm like, I'm not trying to go the distance. Um, so I'm going to try, you know, my, my weight's going to, and, and like I said, being more of um, my boxing style was a little different. It's not conducive to MMA. So I was like, I'm going to put more weight on that front foot where I'm coming, you know, pushing off, putting weight in there where I'm leaning for, trying to put get get hard punches off. You know, if you're putting weight on the back foot, you're, uh, you're waiting to counter, you know, but or, or push off. I would, if I'm if I'm on that back foot, it's a push off so I can get that front foot where I can lean forward and put my weight into it. Yeah. Uh, I was trying to, I wanted to take you out if I was coming, throwing hard punches. Yeah. I, I thought it was funny because I was, as I was going back and rewatching all your fights, I really wasn't paying, you know, so much attention to it and, until I don't remember which fight it was. Joe Rogan was like, oh, Chris Lytle just threw a really rare jab. And then I was thinking about it. I just watched like three of your fights and you didn't throw not one jab. <laughs> I, I brought that up before. I remember where it was, I was like, man, Joe Rogan's like, Rare jab thrown by Chris. I said, damn it, man, that's kind of embarrassing. It's funny. Whenever I do commentary for the bare knuckle, every time we, we interview everybody and everybody we ask, one of my, Sean Wheelock, she's like, what is your most important punch? And they go, jab, toys a jab. And I was like, yeah, yeah. I'm with a few guys who can't say that. You know, like I just, no, I disagree wholeheartedly. I didn't throw many jabs. You know, it's like, I, 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 like I said, my style for boxing was, and my fighting didn't, it, it, like I don't have long arms and I'm not overly quick. I'm not one of the fastest guys. You know, like I'm gonna get in and, and beat you, bludgeon you with a lot of hard shots. That's my goal. I'm not gonna go in there and try and one punch knock out you. And I'm not just gonna try and out slick you and just throw a lot of jabs and move. Um, I don't have the phys physical makeup for that. So I'm gonna use my toughness and go in there and try and push you backwards and make you mentally break and make you quit. You know, that's that's my game plan. So um and to me, that's not about jab. That's about getting in and laying the hard shots and pushing people backwards. And if I get you to back up, you're in trouble. You know, if I can like mentally, I, the best thing in the world is mentally break somebody, in my opinion. My boxing matches, those were my favorite when I was going there against tough guys and I would just wear them out and beat them. Pretty good feeling. Yeah. Um. So was there was there ever a point, you know, like, I mean, even even after this point that you really felt like you could have, you know, fought full time, you know, and, and, and gave up the, you know, the, the fire department and stuff like that, or, or. I mean, I mean, in a way when you're starting to make some decent money from it, but I mean, I, I here's a problem, two, two problems. You know, if I was wanting to do that, I was going to have to uproot my family and move someplace. You no. Know, and I really wasn't willing to do that for kids that are involved in school activities, friends. I'm like, am I going to move? all my family to go to train an American top team or somewhere in California when, you know, I'm one injury away from, I'm not doing this anymore. Um, that's pretty selfish to me. I didn't want to look at it like that. And then I had a job at the fire department where like, I actually enjoyed going to work. You know, I, I still do. Like, I don't, I don't, I never wake up and be like, ah, got to go in the fire department day. It's always like, I get to go to the firehouse today. You know, I got friends there. I'm going to hang out. I'm going to work out. I'm going to, cook some great food. I'm going to do some funs that maybe you can save a life. Who knows? It's going to be a good day. I wasn't willing to give that up to go fight for, I mean, I, not that I didn't love fighting, but I had a great system worked out where I was. Could I have got the, as good a training where I was? No, but you know, 
life to me wasn't all about that one aspect. I wouldn't put all my eggs in that one basket. I had friends who did that and they're like, man, once it, once it became this, it wasn't as fun. It was just a full-time job. Like I, I liked the fact that I had other aspects of my life. It kept me grounded, kept me in reality. It kept me loving the sport, not making it like a full-time job. So I, I, I never really thought about seriously doing it. I know I'd have probably been a better fighter, but I was like, man, in the big picture of my life, I mean, I, I'd rather keep my family intact and happy and, and and me being happy. Like I said, I got a lot of different facets to my life. And fighting was definitely a huge one, but it wasn't the only one. Okay. Um, so they were pretty cool. They were pretty cool about it whenever you first started. Whenever you first got on, you know, as a firefighter, they were pretty understanding and and all that that you were a cage fighter. <laughs> yeah, they loved it, man. They were like, "Cool, yeah, this guy's nuts, man." But then they were like, "Well, I mean, as long as I made, as long as I worked at the fire department, didn't interfere with it, they were fine." And I never really, I mean, probably the first ten years on, I never got hurt. Yeah. So they didn't care. So I mean, didn't bother them at all. They 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 they'd like to get together and watch my fights. So. Well, I guess when you think about it, you know, firefighting is kind of a lot more dangerous than <laughs> cage fighting. Yeah, yeah, cage fighting, you you might get you might get hurt, but in firefighting, you might die. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's just like people die on our job every year. You know, not too many people are dying in the cage. So it's like you might get cut open, but you know, you're not gonna have the the roof collapse on you, or you're not gonna fall through the to the basement and die. So you're gonna be all right. So. Next, next up, you fought Jason uh, Gilliam, I yeah. think, right? And uh, yep. see, this is a – I didn't realize because my favorite fight of yours was always the Matt Brown fight, you know, yeah. uh, where you, you did the same – I didn't realize you did the same move on mm -hmm. Jason Gilliam that you did to Matt Brown. I didn't remember that until I went back and was watching, you know, where you, you go over into side control and you pull that leg up over and wrap the arm and the head around and you're in kind of like a mounted triangle – and then mm -hmm. you got a straight arm lock from there because the other arm's just free. You know, there's no way to protect. Yep. Was that something that, you know, you train regularly or was that just something you oh, yeah. figured out on the spot or? No, that's one of my favorite moves I do in the gym a lot to people, and especially going against bigger guys. I uh, If I get side mount on, they're, they're good at bridging. So I was like, I got to stop this bridge from bumping me off. So I'd step over the head and like do the reverse triangle on the, on the head figure for the head. So then their head's up and then they can't bridge, you know, if they can't put their, use their neck. So like, okay, now that I've got their head bridge, I can really squeeze and get this triangle choke. That works sometimes, but if not, I'm like, well, I got two arms in my head and their arms right there. Might as well get this arm lock as well. Um, you know, I know I, so fortunately for me, I was able to hit that um, on that time. And uh, I remember once, and um, was that in Florida? I hit a like I had a triangle choke from bottom, and I tr got in a straight arm lock. And so I, I thought I was about to break this dude's arm, and then I realized he's not moving. I looked down, and he's unconscious. So I'm talking to the ref. I'm like, "Hey, dude, he's out." You know. So I felt that was another time I got a kind of a double submission. And so I think I've had three double submissions in my career. <laughs> so I don't know many people who've got that three double submissions, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, you definitely deserve the submission of the night bonus on both of those. And to me, that was just one of the coolest things I'd ever seen, you know, especially, you know, I think you, yeah, you had both arms trapped, you know, so these guys are, yeah, they he couldn't tap. tap. I think he starts yelling or tapping with his feet or something. And yeah. They, they stopped. It. But yeah, I knew I had that in there good. I was like, man, yeah. <laughs> so, that was a phone. Yeah. Um, 
I don't remember if it was the next fight after that one or if it was a few fights down the line, but you fought Tiago Alves. Mm-hmm. And that was another one of the fights that, you know, I mean, I didn't agree with the stoppage on that one at all. Um, yeah, I was pissed too, man. Because I, I got, if you look at it, the first punch in the fight he threw, cut me open. You know, yeah. like I push him back with a like, couple punches and kicks and push him back. I land some good punches. And like the first time he counters, he hits me, cuts me open. I was like, all right, you know, we just kept fighting, you know, blood got my a little bit, not a big deal. They didn't even look at it or do anything until like the second round. After the second round, they went over there and they stopped. I'm like, dude, it's not even bleeding anymore. I just didn't understand. Like, why would you stop it now? I, I, you know, I think the judges had it one round apiece. It was a great fight, man. I was, I was loving it. Like he was, he was landing a lot of good kicks on my, on my left leg. I was. I was laying a lot of good punches. I felt like, okay, we're going to see who's going to drop first. Either your eye's going to blow up or my leg's going to give out. Let's see what's going to happen. I was, I was loving it. I was like, this is exactly the kind of fight I like. Um, and, and immediately after that fight, I was like, dude, I, I like, we need to run this back. We need, we need to do a rematch. And I thought for sure, I talked to Joe Silva. I thought for sure that was happening. The problem is Thiago won like his next two fights and got a title shot. So I was like, I get it. It doesn't benefit him to, to go, fight me again you know he already got the win but that was a, was a tough fight I, I think and so like I said it was tied after two rounds we got the five tonight which kind of helped take a, the sting away a little bit but I was uh I wasn't happy about that they stopped it due to a cut that happened on the first punch and they stopped it nine minutes later yeah yeah I had you winning both rounds but I mean he was landing those good <laughs> leg kicks how 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 bad were those were those leg kicks oh, they hurt man I mean they hurt but to me, leg kicks like I've never I've never been stopped by leg kicks, obviously. So, I mean, it hurt, but it was anything. I was willing to take him if I could hit you in the face, I'll take a leg kick. I mean, that, that's my trade off. I'll do that all day long. Um, I felt like that would be one where I'd be hurting for a week after the fight, but I don't care after the fight. We'll do whatever. But I mean, um, yeah, I haven't went back and watched that fight. I just knew from what I heard, the judges had it one round apiece. Yeah. So I, I I don't know, but I yeah I felt like I was landing good shots to to him. He was landing good kicks. But I mean, it was it was a good fight. I thought it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was um, like I said, I like the fights where you know it's like this is what I'm going to do, and you go, I'm going to I'm going to do this, and we're like, okay, who's going to who's going to break first? Who's and I like I feel like when I'm in those situations, I haven't broken. So I feel like I mean, maybe he wouldn't be there, and then you and that last round, then he would just had an even better fight. But um, I don't know. I just thought like you know I have too much. Uh, you know, I have been around long enough. I have understanding and smarts, and I know how to fight smart. But I think my pride or my balls or whatever it is makes me say, no, I'm going to do it this way, my way, and uh, you have to beat me that way. And I just don't think when, if I do that, it's going to happen too often. So I, I probably could have been smarter about a lot of my fights, this one included. But I was like, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to win this fight if I keep doing what I'm doing. So I just – didn't try and try change it. I was like, all right, you kick me, I'm punching you, and then we'll we'll see who wins. Yeah. Well, it got stopped, so I didn't get to find out. Did, did he um was do you know how many fights he had before that fight in the UFC? Or if he was he was pretty new at that point, right? I don't know. I remember he fought fought Spencer Fisher, so he'd been around for a little bit, man. He had he'd had some fights. He wasn't brand new. Yeah. But he probably he'd had at least probably four fights. Okay. Well, Maybe more. I don't know. I guess it makes more sense then that, that he got a title shot after the a couple more. I, I was thinking he was relatively new to he, the. He, no, he'd had a couple of fights. You know, we were. I mean, 
like I say, we had a good fight. That I think he won like two fights after that. They're like, all right, title fight, you know, because he wore his arm. I ride around there. Maybe he didn't get the title. I can't remember, but he, he he climbed up like after that. He got real close to there, and so like that's why I didn't get that rematch. That I was like pushing for right afterwards. I was like, man, we got to run this back because first of all, it's fight of night. Second of all, like I felt like I don't know who's gonna win that fight, and why you can't stop it on a cut. That's stupid. Yeah. Uh, so after that. You had a um, couple wins, couple losses. One of, one of them was like a thirty-three second knockout of um, uh, Kyle Kyle Brady. Bradley. Oh, Bradley. Yeah, Bradley. Yeah. Um, were you uh, were you surprised you were able to uh, able to finish him that quick, or or did you kind of see the holes in his game and figured you could? Well, it wasn't holes in his game. What it was was, you know. You give me a brand new guy the first fight in the UFC. I'm a veteran, been around, and I know the pressure, and and I know what you don't want to have happen. You don't want somebody like jumping on you right away because you're not used to it, and you deal with a lot of different pressures. So I was like, I always think if it's somebody's first fight, you got to jump on them right away and try and make them quit, try and make them say like question themselves, or they're just not. And like the lights, you've been the cameras, you've been ready for this for years, hoping to get there. A lot of pressure, and a lot of people have those first fight UFC jitters, and they don't perform well. So you just got to jump on them right there. That's the quickest opportunity. To, don't let him get comfortable. And so I just try to make sure he didn't get comfortable. And as soon as I land a couple punches, like just pour it on right now, and I did. And then it was like, all right, that was the smartest thing for me to do. And I always talk about when we do the bare knuckle, the BKFC man, you got to jump. If this guy has a handy fight, you better jump on him right away. Make him go. What, what am I doing here? Hold on. Look at these. This is a big deal. I just got punched, but the bare knuckle, and, and and some people mentally just shut down for a second, and that's all it takes. If you can get that one second advantage, then a couple of clean shots, that's a wrap. And that's kind of what happened that fight. I felt bad for. I actually felt bad for Kyle because I didn't want to be there real bad, and, and just uh, I'm glad he got a couple other opportunities. Yeah. And um, so you ended up going on a four fight winning streak <clears throat> after um, after that, and you took on. Uh, Matt Sarah again, and uh, how'd that fight go that time? Man, it was interesting because when Joe Silva called and said that, tried to ask about that fight, I was like, dude, you know, Dallas, I didn't want the fight. I was like, first of all, I love Matt. He's one of my favorite people. You know, I didn't want to fight him the first time. I didn't want to fight him again. And and because I I had no problem with him, we're buddies. But the main thing was, it was a terrible first fight. And, And you know, what do I stand to gain? What if I win the second one? All that's going to make me think is, why didn't I fight like that the first time? Which is kind of how it ended up. But I mean, you know, I, I didn't think Matt would try and stand up with me the whole time. But, you know, talking to him later, he said in his mind, he was like, look, I'm trying to get back to this title run. He's like, how do I do that? He was like, if I beat you by a boring fight, that's not going to do it. They're not never going to put me in there if I get a boring fight. It's like, I felt like if I can knock you out, nobody else had done it, then they're going to get me back in the title fight. So I said, I'm going to try and knock this guy out. I'm like, cool. So we had a good, just a stand-up war for most of the time, and uh, you know, I won the decision. And um, like I said, people were like, "Do you feel redemption from that? Do you feel better?" I was like, no, you know, I mean, it uh, it didn't get me the title at fight, and it didn't get me. All they did was, you know, make a, a friend of mine lose a fight. <laughs> so I didn't really. I was glad to win in front of my hometown. I really was. I mean, just to get the fight, I don't care who I fought. It was going to be a good time, especially to win. You got to win when you're fighting your hometown. It's the first time the UFC had been to Indianapolis. Um, it was a great thing, so I loved it. But, um, you know, I hated seeing my friend lose, um, even though it was against me. And 
like I said, it didn't make me feel like yeah, that's what I should have done the first time. I just, it, I guess it just made me think, well, that sucked. I wish I'd have, you know, fought to win last time instead of fought not to lose. Yeah. And, you know, so at that point, Matt Sarah was, you know, a former champ, you know, a guy who had, who had beat GSP, you know, at, at one point. And, yeah. and, you know, I mean, you had to have been pretty close to a title shot, you know, you would think. That, oh, yeah. You know, I mean, at that point, I just I could never understand why they never gave you gave you the shot. Well, what happened after that? I think I was I, what really bothered me after that. I was scheduled to fight um, Carlos Condit. Yeah, and I was I was super excited for that because like, all right, man, we were supposed to fight earlier, and I in training I blew my knee. I had to have ACL replacement and all that. Tore my meniscus. I'm like, all right, and then uh, we're scheduled to fight again, and. I remember a month, about five weeks out, I tore my I tore my meniscus again training. I remember thinking, man, I went to my doctor, and I was like, man, I gotta, you gotta drain my knee because it's swollen up. And he's like, well, I believe you tore your meniscus. I'm like, nah, just drain it. He's like, I'll drain it, but it's gonna go, it's gonna swell back up tomorrow. He said, how about this? I'll drain it. Go get an MRI today. I said, all right. So he drained it, went to get an MRI the next day, swelled right back up, and he called me and said, yeah, you tore your meniscus. I was like, well. I'm doing this fight. I don't care. What do I do? He said, well, we can have surgery and I'll cut out like maybe 20, 40% of your meniscus and then we'll go from there. I said, all right. So I woke up after the surgery and I said, man, we had to cut the whole thing out. I didn't know it was that bad. So like, all right, what does that mean? He's like, well, let's, let's see how you feel. So I didn't do anything for like the next week and a half. And then I said, all right, I'm, I'm going to fight. So I just went to the gym and started training, but I didn't really, it was Carlos kind of, he never takes people down. So like, this is going to be a stand-up war. I'm doing the fight. And um, so about a week before I leave for Australia, I get a phone call. And they're like, yeah, Carlos is out. He hurt his knee. I was like, damn, dude. And so they said, we got a replacement for you. We're bringing in Brian Ebersaw. I was like, man, I just knew, I, I, I trained with Brian a long time ago. I was like, he's a big wrestler. All they're going to try to do is take me down. I hadn't done any groundwork in like a month. Yeah. So I was like, man. And that sickness got into me again, where I just can't turn a fight down. I felt like a coward if I did. I was like, man, you're supposed to be, you're trying to be the best fighter in the world to hold the title. And you're, you're like, you, you turn down a fight, you can't do it. So I was like, I don't do it. So I should be able to finish this guy no matter what. And, uh, you know, I won the first round and lost the next two. I totally gassed out. I remember in that third round, I had nothing. It was just the brutal fight, man. I just, uh, all they kept trying to do was take me down and just, uh, that you don't understand there, there's different kinds of conditioning. I mean, you got wrestling conditioning, which is the hardest to me. I mean, I can, I can stand up for days. I could do jujitsu for days, but you start throwing that wrestling, everything gets tiring. then. so that, that wrestling just wore me out. And I remember the third round I had him in this guillotine. I, was, I heard him gurgle. I was like, Oh, I think I got him. And he got out. And I was like, I just, I, I, I mean, I just didn't have anything left after that. It sucked. So I lost that. And I was like, that's when I was, uh, I was remember after that, I kind of never really rehabbed my knee. So then I kind of said, okay, I got to help my knee out. I took a couple of weeks off and actually stayed home. And uh, like, I never stayed home every time, every day I'd go to the gym, no matter what I was adamant about going to the gym. So this is like one of the first time in a long time I took off a couple of weeks, didn't go to the gym. And, uh, you know, went to my son's basketball game and my daughter's gymnastics meet and all that stuff. And then I was like, man, I'm uh I got kids in high school. I said, and I, I just decided that's like, man, I gotta, you gotta be home more. This is a, you know, you're not gonna get to your title now. Um, 
because I thought I was real close again. I thought whoever wins that kind of fight me is going to get the title shot. So it's like, I, that's why I was so at it. I was like, I've, I've almost been there three or four times. It's my last hurrah, and it didn't happen. So I was like, man, I remember uh, they called me to, to ask about the Dan Hardy fight. Do you want to do this main event? I was like, hell yeah. And I, I, that's why I went to the gym, and I started feeling all those feelings. Like, man, I should be in my son's game or something. I was just, I was upset. So yeah. then I, that's when I decided I needed to retire. Uh, but I knew... I was going to do that fight first. I was going to do my main event, my last fight uh, against Dan Hardy. And that, no matter what, that was going to be my last fight. So that was going to give me the freedom to go to the gym and train every day. Yeah. Cause I knew that meant that it was going to be over. So I just felt like it was time to go out when I wanted to. Like I said, um, not because I was told to and not because whatever, just because I felt like I should be doing that, be, be home a little bit more and be around my family a little bit more. Yeah. Um, that makes a lot of sense. I didn't realize that you had been coming off injury before that ever saw fight and, and all I didn't that. tell anybody. Cause to me, you know, you don't, to me, I like, I remember my buddy Mitrion was trying to go to it. was like, man, I ain't going to say that because that's the, I don't make excuses for a loss. I, I didn't win. You know, I didn't submit him. I should submit the guy. I should have done something. And that's on me for taking, if I'm not hundred percent to fight, then don't take the fight. And if you do, don't go tell people this is why you lost. You know, I, I hate it when people do that stuff. Well, you know, had a back injury. Well, then, no, you lost a fight. Don't make – you sound like an idiot making excuses. I mean, like I said, I, I that was one of the other things I talked about when I – when I after I lost that fight to Matt Sarah, one of the things I was making, you know, trying to listen to people about um, that you lost because of this. And, you know, the judges wanted you to, you know, Matt Sarah had a bigger personality on the TV show. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then after a while, I said, man, when you don't make any excuses for anything, anything that goes wrong in your life, I promise it's your fault. You know, don't, if you may blame anybody else for anything that happens, you're never going to get better. You can't correct problems that aren't your fault. So then I started looking at everything and everything that goes wrong in my life is my fault. I promise you. So, um, once I accepted that and said, you know, quit making excuses for yourself, you, my life got better. You know what I mean? And I don't care about anybody, man. I see all kinds of people. They always make excuses, never going to get better. But once you once you take responsibility and accept your fault and things, you can correct it. You can't correct nothing, things that aren't your fault. So situation, same thing here, man. Like, I'm not going to make excuses why I lost ever. I mean, you know, I didn't win because I didn't do enough. I don't care. I mean, did it help that I had surgery? No, but – I, I still could have, I mean, that's still my fault. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, that's true. <laughs> that's, yeah, I mean, it, it is, but I mean. The problem with the world today, man, is people are always making excuses about everything, you know. And Agreed. Yeah, you know, that, that's what I mean. Yeah. I hate that. And you're not going to get better until you quit making excuses. Yeah. Now, I mean, the, like, to me, the, the main problem was just me being stupid and taking the fight. I I, I understand I shouldn't have taken the fight. You know, I, I in all reality, I, I know I should have. I didn't give myself a, a, the best opportunity to win that fight. I, I know that, but I mean, yeah, because it didn't do I, any. It wouldn't have done you any good to beat him, you know, no, because you were no. already so far ahead, yep. you know. And all, all it did was hurt me, and I understand that. But I mean, like I said, I man, you gotta understand the confidence level you have to have going out there as a fighter. Um, you have you have to be delusional. You have to go out there and and lose a fight horribly and think I'm going to win the next one. No problem. I mean, which is hard to do. If, if you're a smart guy, you got to be thinking, well, that guy beat me. Why well, can't the next guy, but you can't think like that. You have to think you have to go out there and have a very short memory and think I'm going to kill this next guy within one round. And 
And, and so, like I said, you have to have this mentality, at least if I think to be the champ of the world, I should be able to beat anybody at any given time. I, I, I'm not afraid of anybody to fight anybody. I'll, I'll fight anybody there. So that was my mindset. Even though I wasn't 100%, I was like, I'm going to fight this guy anyway. You know, I yeah. think I'm good enough. I should be able to beat him. But that's not – it's bad to have that as a mentality. A fighter should want to fight everybody. You need to have management and coaches that say, no, you're not doing that. Yeah. And that's what should – that basically having your coach your management should be like absolutely not you're not doing this fight chris yeah. but you know that's kind of a thing that like i see that happen a lot you know like like a couple weeks ago gregory rodriguez you know he he's been knocking everybody <laughs> out in the ufc and and you know he's on a real good win streak and and then he takes on a guy you know is his a guy that jumped in on short notice you know that that has never fought in the UFC and, you know, the guy doesn't have a whole lot of, you know, skills, but he's got a lot of power, you know, and, yeah. and, and he knocked Barry Rodriguez out, you know, kind of that's going to yep. wreck his entire run that he was on. And he's probably never going to bounce back from it. You know, man, uh, there's this, it, it's rough because there's so much the risk and so little the gain, you know, I mean, the smart management and smart people say, we're not taking this fight. You know, we're not doing it because there's nothing to gain for it. You know what I mean? Um, but as a fighter, you, I don't think you should be picking a choose. I think you should say, I want to fight everybody. And it's up to the management and the coach to be like, absolutely not. You know what I mean? So <laughs> you think that's kind of a, you think that's a deal where kind of, you know, managers are a little bit money hungry and greedy or, you know, uh, either they, that or they're not, they're either that or they're not smart. They don't get it or. You know, here's what I don't like. Sometimes if you have a bigger management company, I'm a, I'm a conspiracy theory guy, so I'm, I'm, I got the philosophy that if you got 20 guys in the UFC or 30, and the UFC's like, hey, man, we need a, we need your guy to fight this. You know, like, no, man, I don't know. That doesn't help me out. Like, come on, man. Like, well, if you, if, if you, if I give you this guy to fight to set up for the title, then you got to help me get these two guys in the UFC and this, you know. Yeah. There might be backdoor deals being made or other things based on your fight. You don't know. I mean, if I'm a if I'm a manager, I care about my business more than one fight a lot of times. You have to think. So that might happen. They might sacrifice you to help three other guys out in their business, which is going to make them more money. I don't know. Or there could be lots of things like that. The UFC could just be paying them directly. I, I'm not really sure how. I mean, there's a ton of different ways it could work, I believe. You know, when money's involved, nothing surprises me. So um, I don't know. I, Either that or, like, some managers aren't that good. Maybe they think, oh, we're going to beat this guy, no problem. You just don't – fighting's a crazy sport. You just don't know what's going to happen. Well, have you ever considered – or have you ever coached anybody or – I've coached, or... yeah. yeah. I've helped coach people, man. But, I mean, um, it's uh, – if you want to be good at that, though, just like anything, it takes nothing but time, man. I mean, you got to be in there day in, day out. Um. I, I I would be in there some, but you know, like I said, work on the fire department still full time and doing other. I, I just don't have the time to dedicate. I'm not willing to quit the fire department to coach people. You know, just like, and, and it's really tough now. I mean, if you got good talent, great talent, I mean, you're you're probably in California. You know, you're in Florida, Southern Florida. You're in Texas. I don't know. There, there's a lot of like really mega camps. They're not in Indianapolis where I live, and I guess I can move down someplace. But once again, I don't want to. I, I don't know. Um, I love what I'm doing right now. I'm pretty happy. So, yeah. Um, so, what was I going to say? Oh, um, what do you think about the whole um, uh, James Krause situation? And and 
Yeah, are you familiar with him at all? Have you ever, you know, had any, you know, run-ins with him or? I mean, I'm familiar with him. I don't, here's the thing. Like, I'm not 100% sure exactly. I haven't heard the final word on what they're saying exactly he did. Now, I know they would say he was betting. Here, here's the thing. If he's betting against people that he knows are fighting and they have injury, I don't have a problem with that. That's just, uh, like I said, I've, I've, worked out with some people and they were fighting and said, I don't think this guy's probably going to win this fight. To me, that's not a problem. It's not a crime. Now, if you're, I heard what they were saying was he was encouraging fighters to fight who were injured so he could bet against them. Now, if that's the case, that's something totally different. I don't know if he did that. I mean, I haven't heard the final verdict on what really happened. Yeah, if he just thinks that, okay, this guy's hurt, I'm going to bet against him. I don't have a problem with that. If he's encouraging people to fight who shouldn't, I have a problem with that. Yeah. What do you, what, what exactly is the final word? Do you know? I don't think they've gotten a final word on it yet. I know, I know he had like a discord group or whatever of people that, you know, he gave betting advice to and everything. And yeah, supposedly before the Derek Minner fight, somebody leaked it. They don't know. I don't know if it was him or whatever that his <laughs> knee was blown out or whatever. And of course, right before the fight starts, all this money comes in on his opponent. So it's obvious somebody knew something somewhere, but yeah. You know, um, I, I don't know. I just the part of me that really bothers me uh, about that, the whole situation is that, like, you know, he's got these guys underneath him, like um, like Jeff Molina, you know, and yes. Jeff Molina is on a good little run right now. And, yeah. and they suspended Jeff Molina for sticking with his coach. You know, that's I mean, messed up, man. I mean, yeah. it's not his fault that's going on. I mean, I, but I man, they had, they crossed Jim, had, they had glory, they had, they had like about 20 good guys from the UFC. Yeah, and all of a sudden, I mean, his, his business is over. I mean, if you if they say if you're with him you can't be in the UFC, well damn I mean that just makes everybody leave him the gym that's messed up man. Yeah, yeah I mean I would I would like to think that you know that whatever whatever isn't you know what they say it is and all that because I mean I do respect him as a coach and I respect yeah. him as a fighter because he was a good fighter you know and yeah another guy that knew when to knew when to hang it up and went out yep. and win and you know uh, he's obviously a really good coach. But, yeah, great. But I mean, I, I would like to hear the final word on what they're saying. Like, you know, and here's a problem. He's got a, a gym with, you know, like I said, 20 UFC fighters. How do we know he leaked that? I mean, I, the word could have got out so many different ways. How, how do we know that's on him or why? I don't understand. I mean, if they can prove he did something like it, illegal or immoral or unethical, let, let me hear it. But I mean, that's from what I was hearing. They that the theory at one point was that he was pushing people into fights so we could bet against him. Yeah. If he was doing that, I have a problem. If he wasn't doing that, I don't have a problem. I mean, like, what is he not supposed to bet because he thinks this guy's gonna lose? I mean, yeah. that people do that all the I mean the UFC that's that the the instant they can they can get all the information they want about fighters. Do you don't think they could bet against? I, I don't I don't know. I just don't understand. They knew he was gambling. They knew he, I mean, he had like a podcast about gambling. Well, well, I, I don't understand what the problem is. I mean, it, it, the only problem is he's trying to influence the direction of a fighter to make him fight when they're going to lose and, and then bet against him. But if that's not being done, then what are we talking about here, in my opinion? Yeah, I mean, he wasn't really breaking the rules. I mean, no. anything is, I mean, so I just, I, I just hope that in the end, it turns out that he's like, I would just hate to think that he was the kind of guy that would, put all these people's careers at risk, you know, that he was coaching, you know, I mean, I don't think he would from what I've met. He doesn't seem like that type of guy, but I mean, like I said, I don't, 
I don't know what people do behind clothes. I have no idea. So I, I can't, I don't want to speculate either way and say he's guilty or say he's innocent. I, I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't, I wouldn't think he would be that kind of guy. You know I mean? Me neither. It, it just seems it's like they're blowing it out of proportion, but, uh, uh so where were we um so uh you looked probably the best you'd ever looked in the dan hardy fight in your retirement fight um thank you did you get you know uh i guess you'd come you'd got your your knee all healed up and you had a really good camp and and trained really hard is what you're saying for that fight man i was just yeah like yeah i mean there's a little extra incentive when you're like this is it i'm not training i have to win this fight this is this is it for me. And I want to like, it's rough. I knew I was going to be done and you don't want to ever lose your last fight. And, and so I just like, man, I got to do whatever I can to, um, I, to be honest, like I said, I won five out of my last six fights. I felt like I was getting better as a fighter. You know, I felt like I was learning more. I was just uh, really on point and really starting to get my peak of my physical career, you know, but, um, like I said, just taking that time off with my knee, going to my kids' events, I've started feeling really guilty at the events. As I was like, you know, going to my son's basketball game, and I was like, I never went to those things, you know. And I was like, man, this is just what kind of a dad doesn't go to his kids' basketball games, and what kind of kid doesn't go to his daughter's gymnastics meet? I was just like, I started just feeling this immense guilt, and I was like, you know, you look at the whole picture. I was thinking, I've been fighting since you know 1998. It was. In 13 years and you all your your whole kids lives all i do is knowing you being gone all the time i was like what are you doing man you said probably not do i mean i was like 37 right around i was like man it's been a good career just um you know go all go out the way you want to don't start getting knocked out five times in a row and quit just go out at the right way spend time with your family do the right things like all right so but I was I was gonna train as hard as I could and win that last fight. You know, I knew go I knew looking back that like this was gonna how I was gonna remember my career. Like it, it's all based on how it ends. If it ends in a good way, you can have good memories. If it ends in a bad way, you're gonna be bitter. Like ninety five percent of the guys I know are bitter about their career. Well, that like I said, you Dan Hardy was a pretty you know you know, accomplished striker. Uh, he had fought GSP already at that point and went yeah. and went five rounds with, with GSP and mm -hmm. you went out there and you outboxed him. And then whenever you got tired of doing that, I mean, he, he caught you with a few good punches, but once, once yeah. you got tired of doing that, you, you submitted him and finished him, you know? Well, well it, it wasn't even that. What kind of got me going into that fight. A lot of people like, man, you need to take him down, Chris. He's a, he's a, he's a really good striker. He's done this and that. And I remember thinking, what am I? Am I bad? Uh, you don't think I'm a good? I mean, I don't understand. What do you mean? I have to take him down. I don't take. I'm not I mean. I have to take anybody down. You know what I mean? So that's when I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna strike with this guy. And then what got me is like, with about a minute left, he tried to take me down. That's when I was like, oh, you know. And that's yeah. when I got the submission. I never initiated the takedown. He shot it on me, yeah. and so I finished it. And that's what made it me happy. Is like I was like, you know, I was able to finish the fight because I mean, the dude's tough. Yeah, I, I land some good shots on him. And uh, he landed some good shots on me too, but I was just, um, I felt like I outboxed him. And then, uh, you know, he shot in and I, I won by submission. So it was kind of a fight of the night, got the fight of the night and the sub of the night. Cause I, you know, main event, I subbed him in the last minute when kind of a desperation tip by him to, to win. And I just thought it was, uh, it was, I couldn't ask for a better way to go out. You know, it was, it was like, like I said, I don't even like fights in real quick. I do somewhat, they're fun, but I mean, 
you don't prove much to yourself. I like to fight. I had to dig deep. He rocked me a couple of times. I was able to, you know, weather the storm and come back and just kind of uh, lay a lot of clean shots on him, hurt him a little bit, and then uh, finish him my way. I thought it was pretty much uh, the way I would have wrote it out if I wanted to write it out and how I hoped it would end. So you're just just a what if, you know, uh, what if after that fight, you know, they had called you a, a month later and offered you a title fight, would you have taken it? I'd have been a tough decision. I'd probably have to say yes. I probably would have had to take that one. But yeah, um, you know what? I, I don't like when people keep coming back. And I think, to be honest with you, I don't know they ever confirmed this with me. But I think, you know, in a way, Dana and them liked the fact that I would maybe be an example for other people. That I don't think they liked that the, you know, the people they love, Matt Hughes, Chuck, I don't think they like them getting knocked out four fights in a row, them going to making them stop. I don't think they like that. I think they would like to see people go out on top, you know, at their peak doing well, not having mental problems. You know, I think hopefully I can have other people see that and be like, man, yeah, that's, that's what I want. I don't want, I don't want to, you know, my, as my coach would say, we're not going to drive this car to the wheels fall off. You know what I mean? We're not going to just run this in the ground. And, and that's not the way to go because hopefully you have a long life ahead of you. And if you have problems with the rest of your life because of the sport, that's it's not a good ending, man. I mean, you better have made $100 million so you don't have to because you're going to have a lot of problems and it's going to be a tough life. I, I, I feel like I'm, I mean, like I said, I came, you know, I came out of retirement and did some bare knuckle fights. I was still fine. I was still training all the time and feeling great in my forties. I mean, I've, 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 I think I retired at the right time. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it was, it was kind of like a happy, sad thing for, you know, for me being a fan, you know, cause yeah. I, I really always wanted to see you get, get that title fight, but I was also yeah. happy to see you go out on a win. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just, I don't know. I couldn't believe it. You retired whenever you did retire. I was just, it was kind of unexpected, you know, but. Uh, yeah. Well, like I said, you don't, you know, I know people, people are like, what the hell did he hand in? I handed, handed him my res retirement letter. You know, I was like, I thanked him for the opportunity and for helping change my life and all that stuff. But I was like, man, I got it. I got it. I got four kids. I'm just, I, I, I'm not being a good person. I didn't feel like, I didn't feel like I was being what I should have been being, man. You know what I mean? I mean, you got responsibilities, you got stuff. I, I talked to one guy and he was telling me how, you know, there's such a fine line between, you know, what you're, you know, you want to be successful for your kids so you can give them the better things. But at the same time, in order to be successful, then you have to be gone a lot and work hard. So, but yeah, but you want to spend time with your kids too, to know them and teach them lessons. Like, how do you do both? You know, that's a fine line. You got to walk. We got to be trying to be successful to give them the finer things in life and give them opportunity, but at the same time being around them, you know, and I wasn't doing a good job walking that line. I was far too, too far to one side. So I'm like, I got to correct that and go this other way, you know? And, and I remember a guy telling me how he did the same thing. He was trying to be successful and he did all this stuff and he, he did a good job being successful. And by that time, he next thing he knows his daughter's in college. And he's like, you know what? I didn't even really know her, you know, and she didn't know me. And I, that broke my heart. I was like, man, that's going to be me. That's going to be me. I can tell. That's going to be me right here. So I was like, I ain't, ain't going to be me. I, I, I have a time. You know, I'm never going to look back and think it was a mistake to stop. I will look back and think it was a mistake to keep going yeah. and not be home. So that's when I was like, all right, you got to do it. You know, so I just made a decision and, and you know, it helped when I went to the gym that one day after they told me I was going to fight Dan Hardy. And I just didn't, I didn't feel right, man. I was like, I was, cause like I said, I had a few weeks off a month to think about it and 
I went to the gym and I was like, man, it first time ever didn't feel right. First time I felt like I shouldn't be here, man. You know, that never happened. I always felt like I should be there. So once that changed, it just changed. And it was an easy decision. There was no decision. I couldn't go the other way. Yeah. So there, there were talks about, you know, you getting into politics or whatever after that. I mean, what, yep. what was going on with all that? What were you trying to do? I ran for state Senate here in Indiana. Um, I'm just, uh, I despise politicians, you know, the, the biggest, fakest liars in the world. Yeah. And, you know, I've, I've been paying attention to politics for a long time. And uh, I was extremely libertarian minded. You know, I believe in smaller government. I think these guys are crooks. We got to take away their power. Um, the only way to take away the power is not give them the power to, to, to sell to other people. So it's like, I, I mean, I'm going to try and get in and help my state. And, you know, had a lot of plans for how I could help. And um. But then when I got involved and started trying to run, I realized, oh, they hate people like me. You know, they will do everything to stop people like me from getting in there. And if you do get in there, they'll do everything they can to marginalize you and make you not effective. So um, I just being around those people, I realized I don't like any of those people. And I don't want to, I, I, you know, just uh, I was a naive young person trying to get in and make a change when you can't make much of a change. And if you do, I mean, like one of my favorite guys was Ron Paul, you know, Ron Paul you know, stood on principle the whole time, never passed a bill in his career. Yeah. Very ineffectual. And you think about it, I mean, he affected a lot of people like me and had, you know, the Ron Paul revolution changed the way a lot of people saw things. But at the end of the day, I'm not willing to go in there for 25 years and beat my head against the wall and never accomplish anything. I'm not doing that. I mean, I'm doing things now. I started like an anti-bullet foundation after that to try and like affect some positive change and do some good things. But I mean, trying to go there and do it legislatively, good luck, man. I mean, this, this, I mean, it's, it's past that. And unless you get 50 people like me in there to win something, that's just not going to happen. It's not reality. I mean, money is going to always control. And, you know, the people who make the laws with the people, they're not going to go against what benefits them. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. It's not even it think anything different. <laughs> it's like everybody always, they always make all these promises and stuff when they're when they're running for office and everything. And then ultimately in the end, somebody's always got to answer to somebody and nobody, nothing ever changes, you know? So it's <laughs> even the president, he's got to answer to somebody, you know? I mean, yeah. I mean, people think they're in charge. They're not, they're not in charge. I mean, there's, 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 and I'm sure things are different on the inside than they are on the outside looking. And you think, why don't you just do this? Why don't you do that? Well, it's not quite the way it is. And you know, it's not reality. And, at the end of the day, there's a lot bigger factors in there, and then they're not going to go in there and, and do what's best for you and me. They're doing what's best for for them. Yeah. So um, after when did when did uh, BKFC, you know, get in touch with you, and how did all that come about? <laughs> well, to be honest with you, I fought bare knuckle before BKFC. I fought over in England. Um, I uh, one day I'm in the gym. You know, I used to go to the gym all the time. But it was cool because. At some point, they started. I started doing a thing where, you know, when my kids would go to school, you know, I started like before, like my gym. It was always, you know, four thirty. We'd have practice. Well, now we started. I started going in at like eight at nine o'clock in the morning. So it's like my kids would go to school at eight. I go to the gym early. You know, as as the sport continued to grow, more people got involved. So then we have earlier classes. So. Now I can go to the gym early and didn't have to miss out on kid time. So I started going to the gym early. Okay, this is cool. And um. As you know, probably 40, you know, and still at the gym. And then uh, 
don't know, a few years later, somebody comes to the gym like, hey, man, look at this. I see uh, your buddy Joe Riggs. He did a bare knuckle fight over in London. I said, what the hell's wrong with him, man? I said, he did a bare knuckle fight? <laughs> and so he said, yeah, he had it on Facebook. So I watched, look at his phone. I'm watching it. And then it's like, this dude's, I thought there'd be like bales of hay and like maybe cars, like some guys smoking cigars and just like, I don't know. So I watched it and I was like, oh, it's like a legit fight in a boxing ring. And and I was like, okay, this bare knuckle is way more technical than I thought. You know, this is different. So about halfway through the fight, I started looking and I talked to the guys like, man, I wonder how do I, how do I get a hold of these people to do those things? You know, and he's like, what do you mean? I was like, how do I, who do I talk to to get in this bare knuckle thing? I want to try one. And so he helped me to rack them down. And eventually I uh, got a hold of them and they had me come out to London and do a bare knuckle fight. And I'm like, man, I had to try it. You know, as, as looking at it, it reminded me of, a throwback to, you know, 1999 or something, you know, it reminded me of MMA back then, just very raw, old school, and, like, just, like, a forbidden thing, like, oh, my God, what do you do? It, like, just cage fighting, that's what, it, like, cage fighting or NHB was like that back then. By this time, it was normal and mainstream, so you didn't get that same edgy feeling that you did before, you know, that, that something in your stomach, like, man, this is crazy. So I wanted to gab that again, so I tried it, went over to England, did one fight for me, B BKB. And I was like, okay, I did it. Um, probably about three or four months later, Nate Shook, uh, the BKFC got a hold of, or yeah, BKFC got a hold of me and asked me to fight. I was like, hell yeah, man, I I love what you guys are doing. I would like to do it. And uh, he told me the date, you know, for BKFC one was June second. I was like, man, my daughter's wedding is June second. I can't do that date. You know, and he's like, oh. he's like, well. We're going to do another one after that. I said, man, I promise I'll do the next one. So then I fought on BKFC too. Um, and I love the organization. I was like, man, I, I like the rules here. I like this way better. I said, uh, I want to like, but at this time I was like 44, I think. I was like, man, I want to, I want to get involved in some commentary because I've, I've done commentary a little bit here and there, but um, I like to get involved. So I did comment. I did like a little bit of like the cornerman kind of commentary for the, Kind of like the Dean Thomas does for um, BKFC three, and then I fought in BKFC four, and then I did more of the commentary again for BKFC five, and then I just started doing the commentary the full time. Yeah, I was uh, I was pretty excited, man. Whenever I, <clears throat> whenever I, I mean, I saw that you were on there, I was like, oh man, I got to check this out. And then I saw <laughs> Levin was on there, and to see you actually see you win your fights and everything, it was real cool, you know. Um, So, what, what what was the pay like for BKFC? Are they, are they pretty good? Uh, you know, I mean. It's, got, it's gotten better, man. Like, it was a brand new sport. They didn't have a ton of money. So, I was just like, I didn't get paid great. But I was just like, man, I'll do this. Um, but like I said, I, the whole time I was like, man, I, I want to. I felt like I was in a unique position. I don't know of anybody else at that point who fought UFC 20 times and had 15 pro boxing matches and had done some bare knuckle fights. So, I was like, I, I feel like I'm uniquely qualified to to do commentary for this so uh, my goal was really just to get in there um get a get a few fights for them and then just to, to transition over the commentary team it's like i said i was i was like 45 my last fight or something like like man yeah back to what i said before i don't want to uh i don't want to keep fighting too much like i i always feel like i could keep fighting you know i i, I still did want to have another fight I, I kicked the idea around for a while my coach was like dude you're not doing it man i'm not letting you do this stuff i don't want you to have problems like you're right you're right you know what i mean so 
um, I just felt like I love the organization. I love the sport. Like I said, the thing I love about the sport in many ways is you're not going to have the brain damage from that. Like that's one of the reasons talking to wife, she's like, I came out of retirement for it because I was like, man, you understand when you train in this, you don't, the sparring rounds aren't the same. Like you can't trade punches in this sport. You have to get in out movement, you know, cause you get hit, you get cut open, the fight's over. So you have to train different. So you probably in a, you probably take a third to maybe a fourth of the punches that you do in a, in a boxing match, I would say. And, you know, I try to bring this up to somebody that is like, they're like, now you hit harder with a bare fist than you do with a boxing glove. I said, okay, put a punch meter on that brick wall and hit that brick wall. If I give you a thousand bucks, hit that wall hard, you know, with a bare fist. Like, okay. Now, now, now put a boxing glove on and hit that brick wall. Which one do you think you're going to throw a harder punch with? Well, with the boxing glove, you throw a lot harder. You know what I mean? So they're like, yeah, that's true. See, I mean, you, I guarantee people get hit harder with, I mean, you're hit, you're going to get hit harder with boxing gloves and you're going to get hit a lot more often. So that it, it's that brain hitting the skull that gives you your, your brain damage, you know what I mean? So if you're getting hit that many more times in a fight and in training, all that adds up, that messes you up. And I don't, I don't, that's why I like bare knuckle. I don't think you're going to get that, especially with older fighters. The bare knuckle to me is great because, you know, if you have a guy who's been training MMA for 10, 12 years, you understand like the hard part that is the grind of, of the training camp, the wrestling, the jujitsu, the box, everything. And, and your back hurts, your shoulders, it's doing all that stuff. Bare knuckle, you don't do any of that stuff. You go in there, you throw these two things. All you have to do, it, it's so much easier on your body to train for. So if you have guys who've been training MMA for 10 years and they want to transition out and be like, man, I'll go do bare knuckle. It's easier on my body. It's going to extend my career for five years. I want that to be an option, you know, and, and then not to take the brain damage. It's it's crazy that some states still don't have us legal. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm... – I'm cool with the with the UFC fighters going over there as long as they haven't had, you know, as long as they're not already too far gone, you know. I mean, you have been can still can still hold up, you know, not 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 after they've been knocked out, you know, six times in a row and then want to go do BKFC, you know, that's not gonna get any better for them, you know. No, exactly. Man, I don't want that for any I don't think anybody should be doing that. But like I said, if they are gonna do anything, I'd rather it be bare knuckle than boxing or boxing to be the worst or it may be bad too like but but boxing to be the worst because then you're going to eat a lot of punches those those gloves make it where you might not get knocked out as quick and your brain is going to hit the source it's going to be it's going to cause a lot of problems man i mean i love boxing trust me and i still like sparring and doing stuff but i go with smart people go light don't go hard it ain't it's not a good thing to get to get rocked a lot man so that's why i love the bare knuckle you you you're going to get cut more, but I don't think you're going to have the brain damage. So I just want that to continue growing to be an option for fighters who want to do it. I mean, I, I think it's so entertaining too. I mean, yeah. man, that last fight we just put on, you know, in uh, Myrtle Beach, um, Scoggins versus Richardson. If you guys haven't watched that one, that was a legit fight. Those guys, those Scoggins fought in the UFC like seven times or something. Richardson fought in Bellator, but those guys beat the brakes. That was a great fight, man. So much fun to watch. They, they, they came forward the whole time and put on a show. I don't know if you've watched that one yet, but if you haven't, it was good. Yeah, I'll check it out. I haven't seen that one yeah. yet. Um, so, uh, Hector Lombard, um, is he still – Is he He had a belt, didn't he? Yeah, he lost it. He lost the decision to uh, 
Lorenzo Hunt. Lorenzo Hunt's been pretty phenomenal for us. He's getting ready to fight Mike Richmond. Both those guys are champs. Uh, they're both going to fight. And Knucklemania here in two weeks. That's where the same card Diego Sanchez is on and uh, Greg Hardy, John Dotson. I mean, great card. It's going to be one of our best cards here. Phenomenal card, man. I cannot believe how good this thing's turned out to be. Yeah, John Dotson really surprises me, man, because, you know, he's he's still winning fights and everything. And and I I, I tracked him down finally. Like, I, I he was fighting for um, that ex-MMA or whatever. Yeah. You know, it's an organization that I, I had never heard of. You know, and then I, I was like, man, they actually have some pretty good fighters fighting with them. They do. They had, they had um, Impa, uh, Impa Castanganai, and they had John Dotson. They had uh, Jared, Go uh, Jared Gooden, a whole bunch of people, you know. That, that had, I, I did one of their fights, the first one uh, they put back in a long time. They had some great fighters on there, man. They, they definitely do. Um, it was uh, – there's there's a lot of good organizations out there, man, but uh, – John Dotson, yeah, he he looked phenomenal his first fight. I mean, just the way he fought that Benoit right there, UFC veteran, like nine time, seven time UFC veteran, and just walk through him in forty five seconds or something. Just yeah. fast, accurate. He's gonna he's gonna be a problem for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> so you you think you guys might uh might be able to get Naganyu over there or what? <laughs> I don't think so, man. I mean, I'm sure they're going to try and talk to him and see what he wants, but I'm sure it's going to be too much. Uh, you know, one thing is, you know, the, the guy who said, he, you know, for the, some of the things he said, he the reasons he left the UFC, I mean, I know talk to Dave Feldman who, who runs BKFC. I know he is trying to set up like a pension program for the fighters who fight in BKFC, which would be unbelievable. You know, yeah. I mean, to me, like I always felt bad. You got fighters who fought in the UFC, who helped build the UFC, guys like, you know, Mark Coleman. And I'm like, man, that guy should be getting something from it. You know, I remember seeing him fight, like, even later in his career when I was fighting, sitting next to him, I was, like, talking to him about stuff. Like, well, I didn't have any money to do this. I'm thinking, man, you should have this ain't right. So I'm like, you know, in the NFL, if you play for four seasons, you get some form of a pension. So I'm like, all right, you know, fighters fight three times a year. If you fight 12 times in the UFC, you should get some kind of something. I don't care if it's two grand a month, you know, give them something where they don't have to give them something. You know what I mean? They could have taken when they sold for over four billion, you could have taken hundred million dollars, put it in some trust or some annuity, make sure all, you know, whatever fighters reach some threshold, you got something, you know what I mean? I think that'd be fair to do for people. And that there, there's nothing like that. So if Dave Feldman can get up there and give some kind of pension fund foundation to, to get some of these fighters some money, like I said, and I understand people think you fight there once. No, you have to fight there a certain number of times to get it. Just like NFL, just like the NBA, just like anything, you know, once you get vested, I think there should be something, man. Yeah. Yeah. I'm definitely with that. And I, I already know your, your, <laughs> opinion on you know the fighter pay and stuff like that which it which didn't surprise me because i was like there's like two ways you could look at it you could either look at it as oh they got it better than than i had it back then <laughs> or you know you could you could still you know think they deserve more and and you know you're basically basically you're both of those you know so yeah it's man yeah. i mean i here's the thing you know i understand now being working for for bkfc i had to we had people earlier who were like wanting unrealistic amounts of money. And I'm like, man, you gotta understand they don't have the money. And I remember at one point I watched some things with Dan and them talking about how when I when I told you when I was fighting Robbie Long, those guys, I was making two and two, you know, two thousand, two thousand. And I'm like, I need more money, I need more money. And then uh 
you know, come to find out they're about 40 million in debt at the time. So I was like, how do I, how do you pay me more money when you're 40 million in debt? You know? So you got to look at things from both sides. You're like, I can't afford to pay you more. Like, you know, what was, was really neat. You know, you had, you know, affliction and affliction came out and they put on two fights and they're like, we're going to pay fighters what they deserve. And they did. And they put on two fights and went bankrupt. You know, yeah. you can't pay people 800 grand who don't, who don't bring $800 worth of people. Why? You just, it doesn't make any sense. You know, it'd be great if you could, but I mean, it has to make financial sense for both sides. You know what I mean? And if me, you, if me, like right now, if I, if I went to BKFC and like, yeah, man, I need, you know, 50 grand every time I do commentary, even if they said, okay, that'd be great until they go out of business in six months. And then I don't get anything. It's like, well, what do you, what are you doing? You know, you have to be realistic and understand you can't put people out of business. Everybody's got to make money. And, and if the money's not quite there, you can't ask for a hundred grand a fight. It's just not, not going to happen. You know what I mean? So I don't know. I see both sides of it a little bit better now. Um, fighters jobs always want more. It's always a management job. Be like, we have to keep the lights on. We have to make the sport grow and we have to make money ourselves, you know? So it's, you gotta walk. I mean, there's a fine line there. It's difficult to balance. Yeah. And you know, you made a real good point on your, on your show whenever <laughs> you, as you were saying that the UFC, um, the way they get away with, you know, without, you know, the benefits and everything is that, you know, well, you're not a, you're not an employee. You know, yeah. you said you, you gave a lot of good reasons why you should be considered an employee. I don't know if you remember, yeah. That, but yeah, I'm but. like, yeah, well, you know, I have to wear this uniform. I have to tell you where I'm at for USADA. You know, I have to, I can't do this. I can't, there, there's a lot of different things. It sounds like an employee to me. You know what I mean? That, that independent contractor. No, I, I, there's a lot of things I can do as an independent contractor. You, you can't, you can't cherry pick and say, well, you're an independent contractor here, but you have to do the A, B, and C. Well, no, that sounds more like an employee to me. You know, it, tell me what it is. is. Is it this way or is it this way? And you can't cherry pick and take the good parts out of both. Then that's, that's what's being done because they can, because nobody's challenging them on it right now. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I mean, you can, but uh, when push comes to shove, I think they're going to say, that's not right. Wh which is it? Are they, are they, are they an independent contract? Then they get to, they get to do these things. Are they employee? Then they get to do these things, you know, but you can't cherry pick and take the best out of both worlds. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely ridiculous that they don't allow anybody to to do anything. You know what I mean? Cause these guys could be making three or four times the amount of money that they're making now, if they had the opportunities to go do, you know, other things and, and they're not yeah. allowed to do it. And, you know, and I just hate seeing, you know, I hate seeing like, like, you know, Bigfoot Silva, you know, he just finally retired, you know, and yeah, he was on like a, a, what, like a 15 fight losing streak or something. Getting knocked out all the time, man. He's going to have problems, you know what I mean? And, and I, and I hate to, I, I would like to, well, I guess I don't, wouldn't like to think of it either way, but I don't know if it was a case to where he just didn't want to stop or it was just a case where he needed the money and had to keep going or, yeah. you know, I mean, it's, I just hate that, you know? Uh, me too. That's what I mean. That's why I love to say, Hey man, you have built this. Here's he something. Like I said, the NFL is a pension fund. Why don't, why don't we have some kind of pension fund? We, I mean, they once they sold for 4.2 billion or whatever, I was like, okay, yeah, you can, you can do a little something that to help out. Yeah. Before, yeah, before early. I mean, that's what that's what else kills me when the UFC talks about like, oh, we we do this and this like for safety, and we do all this stuff. I'm like, that wasn't the case back when you guys were forty million in debt. You guys didn't do all that stuff, or even when you first started making money. You know, this is a now that you guys sold for four billion. Yeah, now you do all this stuff for safety. But before, I mean, I remember 
it was funny after every UFC, the number of fighters who would end up at the hospital and there'd be a fighter who might, his fight might've lasted 45 seconds. And all of a sudden he's like, yeah, I hurt my back. My knee hurts and my hand. I'm like, dude, you, you just, you're, you're showing up here because every fight injury you had in training camp, you come to get looked at now because you couldn't get looked at it before because you don't have insurance. So everybody like the hospitals will be full of people, no matter what, just to get looked at for injuries they sustained during camp. Yeah. That's because that was the only time they could go to the hospital. So they took advantage of that, but they had to, you know what I mean? So yeah. it was just, uh, it's just funny seeing how now they're, they're, uh, they act like, oh no, we try and take care of a father. Well, yeah, but you didn't when you didn't have money. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now that you're worth all this money, you're going to try to take care of these guys. Now what about the guys back in the past who got messed up who you still won't take care of? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So back, so back then the UFC did actually, did they actually cover hospital expenses and stuff for fighters? Yeah, the, the night of the fight. Like yeah. if you went to, yeah, they cover them, but that's what I mean. If you were, if, if it was leading up to the fight, they wouldn't cover me. You had no problem. But I mean, that's why you didn't go to the hospital until after the fight. They'd be like, oh yeah, well, my, my knee hurts. Well, hmm, looks like you hurt this six weeks. Oh, no, I hurt in the fight. Okay. You know, so everybody would go to get all their injuries taken care of, that they had during the fight camp and they do it after the fight. Yeah. Uh, was USADA like a big deal back, you know, when, they, it, when you I, were... it was, didn't exist. I didn't have yeah. to do any USADA. Never? I mean, no, <laughs> I mean, you would do a drug test, maybe random drug test before the fight or after the fight or something, but before the fight thing, but it wasn't everybody. It was just randomly. I mean, dude, they didn't test for hardly anything. I knew I'm mean, like, I obviously look at me. I was on a steroid guy, but I mean, I remember here, like hearing of, I'm talking to somebody. I said, "Man, I, I bet half the people, I bet half the people in the UFC right now are taking growth hormone." And they're like, "Nah, it's probably 75 percent." I'm like, "Really? Like, I didn't." They said, "Oh yeah." I thought, "Wow, I didn't know that." And I mean, I think people were taking all kinds of stuff. I, I don't know. It just wasn't. Usada wasn't even around back then. Yeah, well, you could definitely tell that whenever you know Usada came around, a lot of people's you know, performance went, yeah, it went way downhill, you yeah. know, and that was yeah. something that, uh, GSP talked about, uh, in an interview that, that, you know, like when he fought, uh, uh, Johnny Hendricks and he, he's like that guy, you know, he hits like a truck, you know, but he could tell, he's like, I could tell that, you know, that, that he was, you know, probably using steroids or whatever. And, and, and then whenever the whole USADA thing came around, Johnny Hendricks is, you know, he, Done. He, he went downhill, you know, and so I, I I understand it now, you know, it makes sense. And it's crazy that GSP was so good. You'd, you'd wonder if, if he ever did anything like that. And, you know, he didn't, you know, but, but he was, he was definitely not a cheater, you know? Uh, yeah. So um, just a couple more things, man. I, uh, I wanted to ask you about, you know, uh, about Stefan Bonner, you know, if, if you had, well, if you knew him very well and if you had any stories or anything and, and anything like that? Uh, not really any good stories about Stefan, man. I know he's from the he's from northern Indiana. I'm from the central part, so I knew who he was. Just uh, definitely a wild man. Um, liked him a lot. He was always always positive, always fun to be around, always a good time. But uh, yeah, just um, like I said, man, this fight business is crazy, and I don't know a lot of people who end up having just great positive memories of it and it, it can affect many parts of their lives. So I'm not sure exactly. He just seems like he was in a kind of a different place there towards the, towards the end. But uh, I was shocked to hear, 
how he passed. But like I said, just disheartening here. Like I, this is gonna sound weird, but man, I, I know I've met some some dirt bags, and I feel like the dirt bags always live for a long time. How's come? How's come? Good people die young. You know what I mean? How's come the good people? I like. Can it be one of those dirt bags who I don't like? Can't they yeah. just catch some pop? But I, that sounds me. But whatever. Yeah. Somebody's got to die young. I'd rather be somebody I I don't like. But man, he was a good guy. Man, always always a good guy. Um, well, speaking of dirt bags, uh, you want to talk about Phil Baroni? <laughs> <laughs> I got a funny one for you, man. So when I fight Robbie Lawler, you know, so I'm in my locker room there, you know, I get there, I'm woman, and all of a sudden the door like boom gets kicked in and look and some dude walks in with like a big ghetto blaster, boom, boom, boom. <laughs> and then like Four guys walk in, like Phil Baroni walks in. I'm like, what is this, man? You know, and like the the people came in, hey, hey, hey you can only have two quarters. I'm like, no, I got this pass. You, you know, get it to all these two guys. And so, like, all right, whatever. And uh, he's, I'm just thinking, I, I don't really know this guy, but he, 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 you know, he just had, you know, the New York badass, at, uh, you know, stared on all sorts of stuff like that. So I go and I fight. Robbie Lowell, I come back and he goes on. He fights Evan Tanner. I don't remember, remember that fight, but he's beating the brakes off Tanner. And then Tanner gets him down and starts elbowing him. They end up stopping the fight. He's all mad. He like grabs a ref and everything. And um, so I hurt my ankle when I fight Robbie. I kicked and pushed my leg back. So I'm kind of over there ice and I'm, I'm just kind of sitting in the locker room. My ankle's kind of hurting. I'm just sitting there. And Phil comes back there. And after a few minutes, he's kind of pissed. He kind of walks up to me. He's like, hey, man. And we'll let you know. I thought you looked fantastic that fight. You did a great job. I was like, all right. You know, he was super cool to me. And every time I'd see him after that, he was nothing but nice to me. <laughs> so I don't know what it was, but that guy, that, that guy was always, uh, he was always cool to me, always liked me. You know, and like, I can always say the Diaz, both of the Diaz brothers, man, every time I'd see them, they were always super cool to me. So I know people who've had a lot of problems with some of these other guys. I, they seem to like me for some reason. I don't know what it is. So I think he liked me, but uh, yeah, just seeing that uh, apparently he beat that girl to death. And that's really, it, I'm waiting to judge till I see what happened. If that really happened, that's, that's messed up. I mean, like I said, not a lot of people get out of this sport mentally, mentally right. I don't know. I, I don't know what it is about it. Just expectations of how you want your life to go. And if they don't meet that expectation, you it's tough to deal with. I mean, this takes a lot of focus and mental preparation and mental, you know, goals. You have to keep that on the prize the whole time. And when you try to attain this right here forever and you work towards it, if you don't get what you want, I think it's just a problem for you, man. I think you always have this dissatisfaction. Like um, for me, luckily I've been able to like transition. Now I have new goals. I have new things I'm always trying to do. You know what I mean? So if you can't redirect those goals, it's, it's, it's going to be a problem. And I don't know if that's what happened to him. I'm just speculating here. But, man, I, I just noticed a lot of people get out of the sport. It's not good. Yeah. Yeah, I just – I don't know. I kind of had the feeling maybe, you know, steroid use maybe could have played a factor in, in, <clears throat> in whatever happened. And, I mean, right. it's nice to think that, that all that stuff's true, you know, that – it could be could, could be stories. It could also be, I think. I mean, if you get some brain damage, you get you get knocked out or some some shots. You know, you don't know what that's doing in your brain and what like thing that's pushing on. Maybe it's your anger portion of your brain. I don't know. Maybe there's swelling in certain areas. I it, it affects people differently, and, and like some people freak out and get mad. At it. it could be stories. There's there's a ton of things. I 
Now I don't know. I have no idea. Yeah. And so, and that's pretty much all I had for you. Um, who, who are your picks on the, the next uh, BKFC? Well, unfortunately, being the commentator, I'm probably not supposed to say. Uh, <laughs> I can probably talk to you off there. I'll tell you what I think. But I want to put it out there because, you know, um, even for, I don't know, for betting purposes, but, yeah, I got I got those all these fighters. So I don't want to be uh, – I got to remain neutral. I got to be like Sweden or Switzerland. Yeah, I got to be Switzerland here. Just try to be good and neutral to everything. Uh, I get it. I understand. You uh, know, I'm not. I'm not a betting guy here, so I got to be good and just. You know, I'm. I'm. I'm with the. I'm. I'm. I'm trying to be professional here, not uh, pick sides. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's just. Uh, I mean, that's that's just kind of like my way of uh, you know trying to be involved with the sport. You know, I mean. Yeah. My, my no, I get it, man. Stuff and you know. Uh, I like to think I do a pretty good job, but uh, yeah. So, are are you allowed to speculate on the on the UFC fights then? Sure, I can do that all day long, man. I got nothing to do with those guys. Yeah. Uh, you think you think Volkanovski's got anything for Makachev? <clears throat> Volkanovski's been uh, I think I mean for sure. I mean I don't think he's never lost, and he's just kind of beat everybody. He's been he's never really been dominated and on the ground or his family. I, mean, I don't see how he can count him out of any fight. I mean, like I've said before, I don't think the t- I don't think the they they talk about you know he's not as big. They do used to play rugby at like two over two hundred pounds. He's pretty big. He can get bigger. I mean, he's going to be I mean, he, if he wants to get up for that weight class, he'll be fine. He's ready to fight anybody. Um, no, I don't think anybody's on that. Right now, you know, it's just funny how you go in these waves. I remember you look at early UFC, like jiu-jitsu was this and jiu-jitsu was that. And then I remember when Mark Coleman and those guys came out and Mark Kerr, I remember at one point asking somebody, I said, who in the world's ever going to beat Mark Kerr? I mean, how could you beat this guy? I remember thinking that. And that was, he was you know, of course he got beat, you know. I mean, then they, then they figured out, you know, how to beat Mark Coleman, you know, you take like I said, it goes in waves right now, and different different things are great and everything. Right now, with this problem, you know, these these Uzbekistan or Russian or whatever Kazakhstan, these these Dagestanian or whoever these Eastern Bloc Russian guys are just dominating right now, they'll get figured out eventually. I mean, it'll it'll, it'll it will happen. You know what I mean? It's, it hasn't happened yet, but I mean that it's not going to go on forever. Um, I think Volkanovski definitely has a chance. I'm not saying he'll beat him, but to me, him being a three to one underdog is crazy. Yeah. Yeah, that is crazy. Um, and it's crazy how all those guys are all undefeated pretty much. Well, I guess Islam Makhachev does have one loss on his record. Uh, yeah. But like Umar Nurmagomedov and and, yeah. and all of them. And I mean, that's crazy. And I, I couldn't They're believe tough as nails. Yeah. I couldn't believe Umar knocked out Ronnie Barcelos in his last fight. <laughs> and, and that weird. It's like you just think you wouldn't think it happened. But man, it's MMA and think it happened. And I've noticed, like, I noticed lately that uh, it's like the judges have been kind of changing up a lot. You know, like, you know how you were talking about in your your fight with uh, Matt Sarah, you know, like you were doing all the damage you felt like and, and they were well, giving... Uh, all the damage, but it wasn't much. Yeah. <laughs> it was very little damage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I don't want to make it sound like I was doing... I don't want it to sound like I was dominating. Nobody yeah. was dominating that fight. It was It was a pretty boring fight, but I thought... Like I said, on a scale of one to ten, I was doing one and he was doing zero. So I yeah. thought I was winning, but I wasn't. I wasn't dominating by any means. So I wanted to sound like I, I think I was killed the guy. Not the case. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I just I've just noticed that they've kind of switched it up here, especially like this last like year or so. Because 
used to, they would give like all the credit, you know, to the people who were controlling, you know, like uh, up against the cage or yeah. the ground. But now, you know, they're actually giving people rounds that, you know, have been on bottom, but actually done more damage or been up against the cage and landed the better I shots, think, you know? I think that's one of the big pushes they're trying to say, you know, when they had the, you know, I know they have uh, rules and regulation meeting. They always try and talk about, you know, what, you know, what direction are we going in here? And damage is supposed to be the number one deterrent. It's supposed to be more than control, but that's not how they really they've been pushing it. You know, so I think they're really trying to make a point. Hey, damage is number one. What are we doing? This doesn't look like what we're doing here. So they're really trying to enforce the rules and make them more prevalent with the judges. So I think they're really putting that on the judges. Hey man, you got to, the number one criteria is damage, not control. Yeah. And uh, what what about um, what about Jones and Cyril Gone? What do you think about that? Man, I mean, kind of a question mark. We don't know what Jones is really going to be like in heavyweight. I mean, I don't think Gong's thrills on the top three or four heavyweight so it's kind of weird to me that that's yeah. <laughs> that's the matchup but i mean i guess nagano's out you know and you know stipe's not there right now and you know curtis blades i don't think they want that fight you know what i mean so it's just uh there's a couple other guys you know that i i could see them putting in before they put surreal gong in there but i mean yeah what i mean I don't know. I think John Jones has a lot of ways to win that fight. You know, I think, I mean, you know, you look at a guy who got taken down and dominated by Francis Naganu. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, that's, that's good luck. <laughs> I just, I just curious to see if, if Jones's cardio is going to hold up, you know, with all the extra weight on him. And I haven't even really seen him yet. Yeah. Like what he actually yeah. looks like at heavyweight or what he's yeah. weighing in or anything, you know? So I thought it was like 242 last time I heard of something. I don't know. Yeah. He definitely has a wrestling advantage there, you know? But yeah, oh. it's crazy because it's hard for me to take it serious, you know, because there's been three years of, oh, he's coming back. He's coming back. He's coming back. And until he yeah. gets in there, I'm not going to believe he's coming back, you know, so. <laughs> yeah. But uh, and I guess that's all I got for you, man. Anything else you want to talk about? No, man, just uh, anybody who's who's interested in uh, watching good entertaining, entertaining fights, man, the BKFC is the way to go. Yeah. Very, very cheap, like $7 a month, $7.99 a month. And, uh, man, I mean, two-minute rounds, we come, they come to fight. And uh, the thing I like about it is, is, you know, MMA, boxing, all that, you know, at some point you get these high-level fights. It's, it, it's, it's, it's a fight, but it's more like an athletic contest. I'm going to outpoint. I'm going to win. Bare knuckle still a fight. It's not a – it's a fight. And that's what the UFC used to have. It was just a raw fight. And then, you know, it's not anymore. It, it's, it's, it's very athletic. You got great athletes are too highly skilled, I think, sometimes. But bare knuckle still a fight. So if you want to watch people come down and fight, two-minute rounds, fast-paced, you know, start three feet away, it's awesome. If you want to, please watch and, uh, man, uh, listen to some great comments. <laughs> yeah, I might need to start doing some some betting videos on on BKFC and stuff. and. It's just it's it's pretty time consuming. Like I didn't ever think I could get burnt out watching fights. Yeah, a fifteen doing fight research fight. is tough, man. You, know, like you got to do the research. Watching 30, 30 fighters, you know, and and yeah. watching two or three of their fights apiece, you're just brain dead by the. I know, man. End of the day, it's, it's, it's not easy. <laughs> but all right, man. I appreciate it, dude. Uh, thank yeah. you for this and and 
yeah, you're one of my favorite fighters ever. And I was shocked that you, you answered me and, and I appreciate and, it. No, of course, man. Thanks for watching. I was telling people, if you want to get a, get a hold of me on Instagram, I'll get back with you. Cool. <laughs> well, thanks, man. I appreciate it. All right. Have a good one. Bye.